0: I ran, I ran so far away, right into Trump's arms. If you want me to explain this wonderful new song, check out the latest Daily Wire backstage, and I ran, I ran so far away. Join Ben Shapiro, Andrew Klavan, the God King, Jeremy Boring, and me as we discuss the latest news with Iran, President Trump, and the best movies of the year. We will give you that and so much more. Take a listen.
1: A cloud appears above your head. A beam of light comes shining down on you. Shining down on you. The cloud is moving nearer still. Aurora Borealis comes in view. Aurora comes in view. And I ran. I ran so far away. I ran. I ran all night and day. Couldn't get away.
2: I hate this crap.
1: Welcome to the Daily Wire. I ran so far away. We're going to be talking about Gervais bombing Hollywood, that Covington kid, Nick Sandman, bombing CNN, and of course, all the various bombings in the Middle East, all while trying not to bomb ourselves. I'm going to be honest, trying might be a bit overstating our effort. Mostly, we're just going to phone it in like we always do. I'm Jeremy Boring. You're welcome. I'm joined today by Andrew Claven, Michael Knowles, Ben Shapiro, and via satellite, Alicia Krause, the lovely. Alicia, tell the folks at home what they won.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you are a subscriber, then you won the opportunity to ask a question of the guys tonight. If you're not a subscriber, then you don't have a leftist tears tumbler, and your life is awful and meaningless. So you should head on over to DailyWire.com. Be sure to navigate to the shows page. It's right in the center at the top. Click on backstage, and then type in your questions into the chat box next to the video. Now remember, only subscribers who also have those awesome leftist tears tumblers get to ask the question. So if you're not one, you can become one tonight and get your question in for. Any of the guys or all of the guys.
1: Thank you, Elisha. And folks, we've got some other fantastic news for you. Right now and only right now for the duration of the show, you can become a Daily Wire subscriber at the beautiful discount of 15% off using promo code BACKSTAGE. Remember, if you're a member, you get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and uh, show library, as well as the full three hours every day of The Ben Shapiro Show and select bonus content, access to the mailbag, other stuff, Plus, our all new all access tier gets you into live online Q&A discussions with me, Ben, Andrew, Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles. There's other people who you'll get to talk to. I don't know any of their names. I'm the boss. Plus, <laughs> our site's writers and special guests. And don't forget, you'll also get the greatest beverage vessel of all time. The Leftist tiers Hot or Cold Tumblr. Again, that's promo code backstage for 15% off of all memberships that is only available right now during the show. With all that out of the way. What are we going to talk
0: about? <laughs> is Enough there anything on, happening? You know, yeah, like that's what I want. Uh, Could we just do another really long extended pun on the word Iran? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: that, that'll play.
2: <laughs> yeah, so love it. This is great because we can all praise President Trump. Absolutely. We're all on Team Trump
4: This is a major, major foreign policy victory. I mean, yeah. the best really since Osama bought it. You know,
2: well, it's, I think in some ways it's, it's better than Osama buying it only because when it comes to Osama buying it, that was the culmination of a very long war against a series of terrorists and terror groups That's right. That's and right. yeah. killing bin Laden degraded capacity, but not as much as killing Soleimani did for Iran. Absolutely. Uh, beyond that, Iran was on the upswing in, in some ways, whereas al Qaeda was already on the downswing by the time that bin Laden was killed. And, and also there was no division in terms of strategy about bin Laden. Like I was always confused when people were saying oh, it's the bravest move in the world that, that oh, Obama said, for go it. for, like, for what it. What exactly would the choice have been like not go for it and leave the guy alive? He's the most wanted person on planet Earth. When it comes to this, this was a very fraught move that President Trump took. And the reason the media are—and the media are the real story here, really even more so than Iran or— Like, this was all perfectly predictable if you understand, like, international politics 101. This was all fairly predictable because this was just deterrence. Deterrence has been foreign policy for everyone for thousands of years. It's very easy to understand. Somebody says— They're going to hurt you. And you say, well, if you do that, then I'm going to end you. And that's called deterrence, okay? And this has been a feature of foreign policy for all of American history, for all of world history, actually. Barack Obama spent eight years lying that deterrence was not a possibility with Iran. His entire premise was that we had two choices as the United States. One was to sign giant checks to a terror regime so that they could use that money for terrorism and ballistic missile development. And then to pretend that we had somehow mitigated the threat. By allowing them to build nuclear weapons after 10 years with the additional economic strength, with the additional terrorist, and with, hold, with the additional military. Them. Right. Exactly. Or alternatively, full scale war. Right. That was the lie that Obama kept telling. And they pitched that for eight years. It was either you are for our appeasement or you are for war. And they kept saying that over and over. They still saw the media still selling. But this and this is the point. Trump came in. And he said, okay, well, there's a third option that you guys are just pretending doesn't exist. And that option is called deterrence. That is, if you violate X, Y, and Z, if you violate these rules, if you cross this red line, you will get punched in the face and you'll get punched so hard that you don't want to cross those lines anymore. And so Trump was a, what he did to Soleimani was a living rebuke to the entire framework that the media had been repeating for eight years and was pushed by the Democrats for eight years. I I want
1: to jump in and just say one thing. You know, I'm not a giant fan of the president. I think that this, in the end, uh, bore out to be maybe the greatest foreign policy decision by any president in my lifetime. Right. Uh, I didn't think that that was necessarily true just because he killed Soleimani. I thought it'd be necessary to see what- How Iran reacted. Well, not only how Iran reacted, but how the president handled the reaction of Iran. When he came to office, despite his bellicosity, Donald Trump actually believed in the Obama doctrine. All of the early tests of President Trump in terms of foreign policy, he backed down he he's the one he as much as the democrats was the one who would always give you this sort of false binary of well if we don't become friends with everyone we'll just be in open war he would do this with north with korea, north korea very famously and if you would criticize him him uh, snuggling up with uh, the north koreans that's what all of his uh, all of his supporters would supporters say. would say oh you so you would rather us just be in nuclear war with north korea and and people like us Ben, we'd be saying no there are other options the president uh, very tepid response to his first military crisis. He sent some cruise missiles into a uh, airfield in Syria. Absolutely did no good. showed showed a kind of weakness and indecisiveness. This is the one time you'll ever hear me say that Drew may have a point. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say I disagree with everything you're saying. The president <laughs> seems to have learned on the job. He's oh, been a yeah. weak. He's been weak on uh, foreign policy. He's presented all these false binaries about you only have peace and you, you only have kissing ass or or open war. But something there there was this this small news story a few weeks ago that said the president had really become disenchanted with his generals because of how Afghanistan has conducted itself. And that he started talking to special operators and and actual guys who operate on the ground. And then you see this really... I'm going to go ahead and say it is a radical move to take out Soleimani. It's so radical, George W. Bush, who took us into war in two separate theaters, didn't kill Soleimani as he should have. When he had the chance. When he had the chance. Uh, Barack Obama, who, uh, you know, loved to kill people with drone strikes uh, and did, in fact, take us into a
2: country, Libya, uh, that there was no declared war Funny on. Funny how it, everybody forgets States. that Libya actually happened. There was an actual no, war in Libya. And they killed Gaddafi for no reason, who was no threat to the United who States. And then, chortled, and then Hillary chortled, <laughs> chortled about <laughs> killing him. You and know, then Benghazi's I, embassy I, gets burned I, and it's I, not I, a big deal. It, but I, 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 then I, the president
1: you know. seems to have learned and he made this very, very gutsy move. And even then, because the president isn't always known for his
2: consistency. You don't know what he's going to
1: yeah. If you escalate and then back down, this will, be the, this will be worse than if you didn't kill him, even though I'll still be glad he's dead. The president's handling of this missile attack, though, in Iraq last night it was, is— It was
4: great. It's
2: flawless.
1: Makes this, it's been flawless. makes this a well,
4: flawless. Is- the thing I disagree with you guys about it is, is that I think you're, you're putting him into this framework that's created by Obama and Bush, and I don't think he's operating in that framework for good sometimes and sometimes for ill. He is not a guy who will appease another country— to make friends or keep the peace. He's a guy who will make friends with anybody to keep the peace, with any person to keep the peace. He'll, he'll say, hey, Kim, Kim Jong un, love the guy, he's a great guy, come on over. But if Kim Jong un actually threatens him no, kills him, he, he would blow them off the face of the earth. So and, I, I think, and I think also that he does also understand, really? he does understand, as you're saying, there are so many things we could do to Iran. With basically the flick of a Xbox controller, that would cripple them forever. We could take out their ports. We could destroy their navy. Their their airplanes are like paper. You know, like airplanes are throwing these. So we send an airplane at you, you know, and he could take he could take out their entire air force.
1: He can we, do to their and, air force what they just. My did criticism of Trump, you know, and
4: and the thing is, <laughs> they, they know it. They know it, and that's why not only did they fire the missiles into the dirt, but they were making announcements like. Don't retaliate. Well, they know it. By the way, they know it now. By the way, more more than that, I mean, the Daily Mail
2: basically reported that Iran called Iraq and they said, "Get your guys out of that base because we need to do something to prove to our people that we're not completely." Yeah, and, well, this was the so, question. So, so they actually called up the. Ira- For people miss the story, they actually called up the Iraqi right. Prime Minister and they said, "You need to move your troops out." The Iraqis then went and told the Americans, and the Americans moved their troops out, which is why no one's dead today. Right. So the Iranians were openly saying to the Americans, "Okay, we understand. We can't go any further than this." Not only that, there was a story today out of Baghdad that Muqtada al-Sadr, who's the leader of, of this huge Shiite group in Iran has basically told the PMF, which was the group that was behind the burning of the embassy, to shut it down. Yeah. So the, the Iranians are understanding, like, we went too far here, and Ob- and they were pushing, right? And the, here was my problem with, with Trump's foreign policy for a year there. It was not pulling out from the Iran deal, which was great. It was that for a year... The Iranians kept telling more and more and more bellicose, yeah. right? I mean, they were they were blowing up shipping in the Straits of Hormuz. They right. they had, they had shot down an American drone. They blew up the Saudi oil facility. They were firing rockets at American bases. You know, all of this, and Trump really did nothing. That's why when people kept saying Trump desperately wants war with Iran, it's like what it's what right. are you Trump watching? Trump wants war. But they, 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 but they, they, called
4: them, they called him a week before when he when he didn't respond to the drone being blown up, which I kind of agreed with him. I thought like I, I don't know if I want to. Certainly, like that I certainly
1: I certainly didn't agree with him. Yeah, but I will agree that not since Ronald Reagan has there been. A president who disdained war more than...
4: Absolutely. he and, 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 one, Well, one, he should.
1: You know, one reason yeah. that we didn't lose any Iraqi soldiers or U.S. soldiers in uh, the ballistic missile strike uh, of last night is because we had an early warning system. And <laughs> Wow.
4: I'm in awe. I, I'm in awe. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you at home should they, also... They don't call you the God King for nothing. <laughs> Thank
1: you. That's you it. at home should also have <laughs> an early warning system, and you can because of our good friends over at Ring. Ring produces... Uh, this terrific home security system. Everyone here at the company has it. Jay Hay, uh, our head of production, has the best story about this. He's sound asleep in his bedroom at night and he gets an alert on his phone because when there's motion, a knock on your door, someone walks up to your porch or someone rings your doorbell, uh, the technology at Ring is such that it alerts you to the fact that someone's there. You could be on vacation a thousand miles away. You're still going to get a notification. You can actually communicate through your phone to the person standing at your front door. All of this is being captured by... Uh, Video so that you have it to show the police later on. So, Jonathan gets this alert. He looks at his phone, and it is some drunk, uh, stoned high hippies standing at his front door at three o'clock in the morning, wondering if this is a rehab. It is not a rehab. (laughs) It's also the plot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) Jonathan's house, by the way, is like it's almost like a Dr. Seuss book. It sits on the very, very peak of a giant steep mountain.
0: <laughs> on top of another steep yeah. mountain, right? I mean it's a <laughs> hill on top. I don't hill. know
1: how they got up there. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Their smart video doorbells and cameras protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and be able to see here or speak to them all from your phone. That's, that's right. how cool Ring is. Yeah, You know,
2: I have serious security problems, obviously. Yeah. And Ring has been keeping my house safe for, for years at this point. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes my wife
4: feel comfortable. It's, that's the thing I like about it. it makes you feel good because I'm up yep. all night, and if you hear a noise, you don't want to go wandering around the house looking for things. You just look. It's, nobody's out well, there. sweet little record. Yeah. She'll, she'll raccoon. jump up with a gun. She'll start firing. <laughs> I don't need that. I just want to know. See it on my phone. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you heard it here, folks. If we lose Ben Shapiro, it's because of a <laughs> defect in Ring's product. We are not going to lose Ben Shapiro. There are no defects in Ring's product. As a subscriber to The Daily Wire, you have a special offer from Ring right now. For the Ring welcome kit, go over to ring.com backstage, ring.com backstage. The kit includes the video doorbell and a chime pro, which is just what you need to start building a ring of security around your home today. That's ring.com backstage. Remember, not only do they keep your house safe, but they keep this show on the air. And so if you're in the market for a home security system, please support the ones who support us and also produce one of the great products on the market today, ring.com slash backstage.
2: So I just want to finish the narrative here because I think it's important. So the, the Obama narrative was, it was either appeasement or it was full-out war. And Trump comes along, he says, no, there's this thing called deterrence. Right. And if you cross this line, then I'm going to put a missile through Soleimani's head. Which is exactly what he did. Which is great because Soleimani is better in a thousand pieces. As hey it turns hey out. Ben, you know what? The last thing to go through Soleimani.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually improved but, but Soleimani's personality.
1: It, it, it did. It's, it's much did. more
2: likable now. I, you know, I, I don't tout my own tweets all that often, but this that was a great tweet. They, they, they shipped him back in a box on a civilian airliner in the in the coach section. I said, well, he didn't need the legroom. <laughs> <laughs> Not but, even come for plus. But what? They, but here, here's the, here's the point that was the narrative from Obama the media repeated it dutifully for 8 years that's right trump came along and he wrecked the narrative for them because he showed that there was this third way so the media have now responded by refusing to acknowledge that deterrence exists instead mm-hmm. their narrative has become that trump is a madman and the ayatollahs are rational right, right. That the, it's not that they were deterred it's that they realized that they didn't really want to go to war and trump is crazy and so like by the way that in and of itself does acknowledge that a deterrence took place it's just that, right. that trump's calculated nuttiness made the iranians back down supposedly but they will do anything up to and including declaring the ayatollahs who hang gay people from cranes, who oppress women, who spread terrorism all across the region. The, the regime that has been responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of people, mostly Muslims in the Middle East and people abroad, including all the way in Buenos Aires when they're bombing synagogues. Right. They, they are willing to declare those people rational actors just to avoid saying that Donald Trump backed them oh, off their point. Well, it's,
4: look at what's well, worse than that. They actually they actually hate Trump and us so much that they they well this is have, this Lawrence O'Donnell was rooting this is for last night. Like and Michael, I want to get sorry. your
1: opinion on this. If the Iranians had responded by bombing Trump hotels around <laughs> the right, world, right, right, would the media have been able to condemn Iran for it?
0: Uh, not a chance. Are you kidding me? They would have been celebrating. They were all, they were so excited to push Iranian propaganda. While the Iranian retaliation was taking place, completely unvetted,
2: baseless, they were just spouting what the mullahs were giving them. You Is that Lawrence O'Donnell tweet?
0: Lawrence O'Donnell, what I mean, say, MSNBC
2: he was... He said, Trump wagged the dog, now the dog is wagging back. Uh-huh. Like, wow. openly... Rooting. On, on wow. air, well, air
0: openly they were rooting. saying 30 American casualties, Washington Post is reporting that, a raw story, a number of left-wing outlets were, were actually saying the Iranian news agency is calling in 80 casualties. None of it happened. The only numbers you need to know are that more Americans were killed by Iran in the two weeks before we took out Soleimani than in the entire retaliation, 13 ballistic missiles, however many missiles. More were killed before than were killed afterward. It shows you that the deterrence works. And the key that that Trump reestablished beyond deterrence is unpredictability. Because I agree with you, when when he didn't respond to the drone, when he didn't respond to the Saudi oil field, when he didn't respond to the tanker, at a certain point you got to put up or shut up. At a certain point, you don't believe the threats anymore. And that asymmetrical response, taking out the yeah. top military commander,
4: clearly it worked. Is there, is there a point with the media? I mean, the media, as you say, the media was the story. I, I've never seen anything like this. It's that. disgusting. I mean, it was I mean, unreal. Christ, Christian, I'm a poor journalist, was actually like <laughs> almost singing at the, at the funeral of this guy. In tribute to him. Oh,
2: they had Martha was, Raddatz wearing the, wearing the, the headgear. and: like, oh my and, God.
4: Is there a point where corporate calls in and says, boys... You know, the, the American public, we, d- we do need them to watch our shows. Surely, surely there is a wide swath of America that is looking at these programs no. and thinking, you have got to be kidding No, them. I
2: think, uh, first of all, I think that the corporate higher-ups don't know a damn thing about this region of the world at all. I mean, I'm, a, I'm constantly amazed by the coverage at the New York Times. They don't no, know.
4: No, Ben Rhodes anything. was right. They, they literally know anything. nothing. Yeah. I mean, they
2: are, they are full on. No, absolutely. And this first occurred to me, not with regard to this stuff, but with regard to Israel, because Israel is in the middle of an election and they were printing stuff that was so patently absurd that I, who am a fairly well-educated follower of Israeli politics, I was looking at this and going, are you like what? Hmm. And, and their coverage of this whole situation where Soleimani was being portrayed as just, you know, the, 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 the obituaries for this guy were were glowing. Yeah. I mean, it was, I he, he was the honest and Revere. he was an austere religious scholar it was part two. I mean, they were contrasting, I guess, this, this former Cincinnati Bengals coach died uh, yes, in the yes. last couple of days. Right. There's a headline from the Washington Post saying Sam Weish, who made the, who did the gravest, grievous sin of not allowing a female reporter into the male <laughs> locker room oh, has like, died. It's like, and I, then it thank was,
4: God Iran isn't run by Don Imus. You know? like, <laughs> it,
2: it, it is truly incredible. And so, when Nikki Haley suggests that there are people who, who seem like they are rooting for Iran, you know, th- there's a fine line between rooting for Iran and just not knowing what the hell you're doing. Mm. But I think that the, there's one thing that's certainly true. They're rooting against Trump. There is right. no question there's, about yeah. that. And they cannot allow Trump to have the victory. And so they will rob it from him with anything possible. They will suggest that there's more. they'll root for more Iranian retaliation to come but it's just not, to it's show not that not deterrence terrible. didn't work.
4: Chris, Christian Annenpour Man- does know that. She does area. know that. And, and she was questioning the, our uh, deck, Seth Deck. She was uh, questioning our secretary of defense like he was a, a perp. And then she had on a Iranian official and was questioning her like, you know, Tell us the truth now. Give us the real information. It, it was it was incredibly shameful. And I don't know, I mean, I've been calling for the media, to the news media to be reformed. Obviously, it can't be reformed because of the First Amendment, but it should be forced into reform. I'm so happy about this Covington school kid uh, taking out CNN and settling with them for defamation. But they have got to do something. This is bad for the country. Trump, you know, Trump is right. They're the enemy of the people.
2: I will say that the Ayatollahs, acted in a way here that was more rational than the media would have had them act.
4: You know, oh, the, way, yeah. the way that the, the, oh, they the media yeah.
2: were covering this thing. I yeah. mean, Richard Engel, who's covering this thing from Tehran for NBC, he was on the air talking about they didn't just turn Soleimani into a martyr, they turned him into a saint and he was covering all the people rubbing the relics on the coffin. It's like, yeah, they did the same thing with Stalin. Yeah. Well, this so, is the actually, <laughs> so the hell what? <laughs> yeah. This is my actual favorite tweet of the day from uh, Michael Moore, who's a um, filmmaker. And 2004 DNC presidential box city with Jimmy Carter. That's right.
1: right. Just wondering, Is there an American general for whom millions of us would turn out for his funeral? (laughs) Mad Dog, Kelly, Colin Powell? Can anyone even name the chair of the Joint Chiefs? We all support those who serve, but would we pour into the streets like the Iranians? Did you
4: hear his podcast where he begged... Did you hear this? He begged... He had an emergency podcast that was a message to the mullahs in Iran begging them. He said, I have a way for you to win. This is what he said. These were his words. I have a way for you to win. Don't sink to our level. Don't become... Follow, your, be true to your book and to your God. And I thought, if they're true to their book and <laughs> our God, we are in big, big trouble. You yeah. know, he <laughs> slid into the Ayatollah's DMs. He privately messaged
0: Ayatollah Khamenei on Twitter saying, please don't do this. We'll get rid of Trump.
4: Please don't attack us. So I want to know, you guys, I want your opinion, though. When the American people see this, aside from the far left, aside from this, aren't they going to say, like, what? Yes,
2: the, the, the takeaway is going to be, I think, that in the past three months, Donald Trump took out the top two terrorists on planet right. Earth.
0: Yep. Plus right. the Hezbollah guys in Iraq. Yeah. People right. were killed alongside yeah, the
2: I mean, so I, I think that it's going to be very difficult. Like, what, what exactly is the democratic platform here going to be? They're <laughs> desperate for it. Now they're, now they're relegated to arguing that it was an illegal kill on Soleimani because Soleimani wasn't an imminent threat, right? They're all they're all because it wasn't an <laughs> imminent threat. He's imminent only threat. responsible <laughs> for the deaths of hundreds of American soldiers yeah. in Iran and the, uh, in, Iraq, in Iraq and the and the murder of tens of thousands of people in Syria and the murder of people in Yemen and the murder of people in Lebanon and the murder of people in Israel. He's only responsible for those things. But he wasn't, like, doing anything <laughs> you, that day except so, for that. He was actually so in Iraq, on the path. except that he was in Iraq <laughs> to actually sit with... With the people who had just burned the embassy the day before, but other than that, guys, he was totally not a threat. He was basically a Swedish school child
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the DNC slogan. Is going to be win one for Cassim.
1: <laughs> win
0: one for the Gipper. They've got win one for Cassim. One thing
1: that always occurs to me in times like this, and it goes to your point about how the media doesn't really know anything. I actually, I agree that Trump actually comes off looking great in this entire affair. As I said, I think it's the greatest, uh, or one of the greatest, foreign policy achievements uh, of my lifetime. Nevertheless. People don't have a great framework for understanding these sorts of events. When you hear very serious-seeming people go on television and tell you that we were on the brink of World War III, when they tell you things like, this this would be... I know someone personally who went and stockpiled food at a grocery store last night. That is (laughs) the honest-to-goodness truth. Iran does not have a weapon capable of striking America, except perhaps for actual terrorist suicide bombers or something There were people who believed World War III was upon us. People thought um, the draft was about to be They thought the draft yeah. was about to be reinstituted. Iran would last, we know almost to the day, exactly three weeks is how long it would take our military to completely destroy the military of Iran. And we also conflate the Iraq war with the Iraq nation building and yep. occupation. Yep. People are like, the, the Iraq war was a huge failure. Three weeks, we unseated the fourth or fifth largest military on the face of the planet with, with sub-100 casualties, now, if you want to say that the Iraq nation-building and democracy-establishing enterprise didn't go very that's well... the Colin
4: Powell Doctrine. is that's a mistake. Right. The Look,
2: Powell Doctrine is wrong. Yeah. I, I do I do think that the the Iranian military is capable of generating more casualties for the United States than the Iraqis did. So they we do don't, have a,
4: We don't have to say... We're not, we're not gonna, it's not going to be D-Day. We're not going to have guys in the Persian right. Gulf paddling their no, no, boats. No, no,
2: <laughs> of course not. But we do have about 5,000 troops in the region and yeah. they have tens of thousands of militia members. So it would turn into... There'd be some bloody battles. But and bottom line is, that all of that was speculative because no one wanted to go to war. And I kept saying this over and over. Donald Trump did not want to go to war. The Iranians didn't want to go even war- to war even more than Trump because they knew. And what Soleimani really said was, yes, there is a red line. And unlike with Barack Obama, I'm not going to back off it and right. then just hand Vladimir Putin the keys to the kingdom. Right? The, the, all, the, all these but same jackasses say- who say that Trump is a tool of Vladimir Putin. Barack Obama handed Syria to Vladimir Putin after letting Bashar Assad gas people. That's okay, so good. why don't you just
1: shut up? But <laughs> even when you say that Iran could generate some bloody casualties for America in theater, I don't fully agree with you, but even let's grant that that's true. We had a million troops in the Middle East eight years ago. This would have been nothing like that, even if it had turned into a shooting war. Oh, no, we have 5,000 We have five thousand troops in the region right m- Much less World War III, right. a conflict that you would assume would involve numerous world powers and m- actual millions of casualties but very serious people. The same people who say, we have to believe the science. We will all be dead in 12 years.
4: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: See, and the, people go, well, that sounds unreasonable, but this is a very serious person saying it.
4: But, but not only does Trump learn things, people learn things. And when you go out and you say, oh, the draft is coming and we're protesting the war and the draft doesn't come and the war doesn't come and, the fa- and in fact, Iran essentially has backed down. You know, I think large swaths of people say, well, wait a minute, you know, I mean it's like listen, I was I was, I was a liberal. From people who I was are Democrats
2: a who were saying like is it really going to go like this. Like I have a feeling it's not going to go like
4: this. I, you know, I, w- I was a liberal when Ronald Reagan was president and I thought what an idiot, what a warmonger. And then one day I thought, you know, everything he's doing works, you know. And, <laughs> and then the wall fell down. Happened, you know, right? and, and the wall fell down, I thought, you know, he, he was actually right and everybody else was wrong. And you start to think about these things. I think, you know, Trump a lot but of people really- are going to start having Molly Hemingway just put out a tweet saying she overheard someone say, you know, this guy is kind of good at presidenting. And I, I, think, I think that that's what a lot of people are thinking. It's what I've been thinking for the past several You know,
0: I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, big in foreign policy, and he said, the thing people get wrong about foreign policy is it's actually much simpler than all the academics <laughs> and all the experts think. You know, t- since we're all celebrating Trump here today, <laughs> Trump had this pretty much stupid uh, advertisement in the New York Times in the 1980s. It was attacking Reagan, but it was to sort of launch his political career, and he was accusing Reagan of being too weak. And what the advertisement said was, there's nothing about our American defense policy that couldn't be fixed with a little backbone. Very simple, right? Now, the reason I say it's stupid is I I think Ronald Reagan was pretty strong, got the Soviet Union to collapse, but the statement that he made completely right. It's exactly what we saw here. This was not a fundamental reordering of U.S. foreign affairs. He just had some backbone, and it worked.
1: If you would like to talk to us after the show and maybe ask us some very direct questions, uh, you can come over to our new live chat feature at dailywire.com. How do you do it, Jeremy? Well, you become an all-access <laughs> subscriber. At dailywire.com, using the promo code backstage, we'll get you 15% off, but only if you head over there right now and subscribe during Uh, the duration of this show. We're going to be around for a little bit longer. And in fact, we're going to take some questions right now from existing DailyWire.com subscribers and members by kicking it over to Elisha. Elisha, what are people back home wanting to know?
3: Well, back home, everybody is kind of on the same topic that that you guys have been discussing for the first 20 minutes of the show tonight. How will the president's handling of Iran affect our relations and just everything, I think, with China, Russia, and North Korea?
2: Hmm. Well, it's certainly going to throw a scare into all three of them insofar as it shows that there are red lines. Again, with Barack Obama, there were no red lines. So North Korea is always playing the same game. The the big difference, of course, is that they have nuclear weapons and they do have an an insane amount of ordnance that is aimed directly in the center of Seoul. So so that is is a bigger problem. They're not going away anytime soon. By the way, the mullahs aren't going away anytime soon. But the idea that the North Koreans are going to get wildly aggressive is obviously untrue because at a certain point they will cross a red line. The Chinese are playing a long game, so the idea of them getting openly aggressive was never a real possibility. The Russians are, I I think that they have pretty much finished with their territorial incursions under President Trump. I think that they feel like they've gotten away with about as much as they can. It's been basically quiet since the invasion of Crimea, which is several years ago at this point. I don't think they're going to get territorially aggressive. Again, I think that, that Trump really sent a message to the world here, and the Iranians backing down really is a major foreign policy win for him. And I think that the, the real message in all of this is that Barack Obama was wrong about everything as per our usual arrangement. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. And the media cannot let go of it. Yeah. And the rest of the world basically understands that now.
4: And the other thing about Obama was, unlike Jimmy Carter, the second worst president of my lifetime, he never learned. He never changed his mind. It didn't matter what happened. He was so certain of himself. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Carter, when Russia went into Afghanistan, thought, OK, maybe I was wrong about that. You know, Maybe I was wrong about the Soviet Union. Obama? You know, the comedian who said he was like obsidian? He he was, except up here. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, even the fact that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson came out and basically endorsed the president's actions over the last uh, few hours. Three days ago, two days ago, uh, Britain was openly basically rebuking the killing of, of Soleimani. So I say that only to say, I think everyone learned a lesson. I think in capitals all across Europe and in capitals all across the world, people are looking at America with a little bit more serious of an eye. And that's something that's been missing uh, for the last decade, at least, and is a very, very powerful thing. The, for us it, show,
2: the, it does show the disconnect between the, the supposed importance of rhetoric and the importance of action, yes, and especially the, on stuff like this, because this was People kept saying, oh, he's tweeting all these nasty things to Iran. Right. But the concept is extraordinarily basic. It's the same concept that you use with your child or that kids use with each other, which is if you do this, I'm going to punch you. Right. right? Trump that, that's Trump's message, right? Yeah, that,
4: that is, that, that it's right in his wheelhouse. And, and you know, the other thing about the, the Powell Doctrine is it essentially, the Powell Doctrine was that if you, you break, break it, it you own it. it, right? And that essentially neutralizes our strength, because no matter how big you are on the ground, an, an indigenous guerrilla force can keep you fighting forever. I mean, that was right. George Washington. You, you know, yeah, the, the, Coleman the,
1: Powell had not learned the uh, first the, lesson the, of American the, warfare. Ex-
4: exactly. But the, when, the
1: Washington Doctrine.
4: Uh, the Washington Doctrine, exactly. And when you sit, when you sit got a 17-year-old sitting at home with an Xbox controller, taking out, your main guy, that's power. And that's the kind of power we have now. And it should be used when we we have
0: to. You know, the return on the investment is also so great. I mean, I don't know how much that drone shot cost that took out Soleimani, but the return on (laughs) the deterrence is so great because it's a return in North Korea, as you say, in China. It's a return among our allies. You, You know, you only have to have show the credible use of violence. Every so often, you only that
2: that establishes that's it. Right. You only have to
0: be unpredictable
2: a, every so by often. By the way, it's like I don't Reagan, think Reagan and Thatcher at the Falklands. That's right, that's right. right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. like it doesn't ha- it doesn't take yeah. a major military action yeah. to convince everybody that you are willing to do what you say you're going that's to right.
1: do. I also think that this is weighed heavily on President Trump. I don't think that uh, again. I think since Ronald Reagan, we haven't had a, a president who disliked war more than Donald Trump. That's so why it's fun when Hollywood starlets call him a terrorist. You yeah, know, we've got a terrorist in the White House. You Got a guy here who. So far, anyway, he's the only president since 88 not to start uh, an actual shooting war. <laughs> uh, but if you, watch that, if you watch that press conference that the president had this—not m- press conference, but that address that the president gave this morning, looked terrible. He sounded terrible. He sounded like he was sick. He looked like he had a flu Yeah, he looked like he had days. the flu or something. Yeah. He was slurring uh, a few words. He, I mean, if you were a Hollywood scriptwriter, you couldn't have done better than he said, um, uh, I want to be clear. The (laughs) territorial interests of the United States. Like, no, you can't slur the word after I want to be clear. But I I don't say any of that to make fun of the president, maybe just a tiny bit (laughs) in good humor. But I think it's taken a toll on the guy. The guy does not like the idea of military conflict. He doesn't want to kill people. Barack Obama was down in the Situation Room bombing people from the air almost every day of his presidency. Donald Trump has been clear about this basically his entire life. He does not like war. He doesn't he want to deploy. Called he called off went, you should, strike. You
4: shouldn't right? like war, right? I mean, yeah. we don't like war. What is it good for? <laughs> is absolutely it's, nothing. it's bad for children and Elisha. other flowers and whatever.
3: Oh, man. Rush Hour reference there? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this video earlier, but it was Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar kind of giggling during a conversation that Democrats had, a press conference actually that Democrats had uh, regarding the Iraq War, and this question comes from a subscriber who wants to know: With antics like this and their sympathies to Iran, do you guys think that the Squad will survive the 2020 elections? The
0: Squad—if the Squad didn't exist, we'd have to make them in a laboratory. They're, they're, I hope so. They're, they want to redistrict AOC out of her seat in New York because the New York Democrats like her even less than the Republicans do. I'm going to fight to keep her seat. I—I I really want them to stay in power. You know, it was amazing today. Ilhan Omar. She was giggling with Talib at that press conference. It, it just seemed like. They were acting like children. I don't think it was a direct reaction to what they were was being discussed. What was so amazing is she said that the sanctions that Trump is reinstituting on Iran. Yeah. She said sanctions are an are warfare. Sanctions cause death and destruction, and that's terrible. One year ago, she said Ilhan Omar supports the boycott, divest, and sanction Israel movement. So we can't declare war don't on, on the, the Jews. Don't <laughs> J O O O O, you know you can. We can declare
4: war on Israel, but no war on Iran. She said that She's on the
2: House Foreign Affairs Committee.
4: Directly. Thank you, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, she yep. re- she retweeted George Carlin saying America is in the business of bombing brown and black people. That's, that was that, that's her retweet on this. You know, I, I do think, listen, people are moving out of red states and moving to blue states. And I, I know we all fear that when they do that, they'll go to the red state and start voting blue and turn the state
1: over. You said moving from and,
4: blue states and, to uh, red Blue states, states to red states, sorry. And, and they're doing it en masse. I mean, blue states are losing congressional seats because of the population transfer. You know, people catch on to things. People are not stupid. I, You know, that they, they, they do see what's going on. They do see through the press. The press is not as powerful as it used to be. Young people aren't reading the press at all. You know, they're reading Reddit, basically. You
1: heard it from Andrew Klavan, <laughs> folks at home. People are not stupid. Alicia, <laughs> <us where you're
4: laughs> from? You don't agree with anything, Isaac.
3: All right, jumping into election 2020, because we're officially in 2020, guys. Aren't oh you so excited? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't do a Barbara Walters impersonation, but just imagine me <laughs> talking about 2020. So the question for all of you guys is which Democratic primary candidate do you think benefits the most from these increased tensions with Iran?
0: Uh, Donald J. Trump. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you <laughs> yeah, I, if I
0: don't
2: you're think
1: la- he's a Dem- registered
2: Democrat. Oh, he's not not a, he was at one time, though. Yeah, yeah. He was at one time. I mean, the answer is Biden, because anytime people feel a little bit unsettled, they want the person whose face they've seen before and who isn't a bat, loony communist. I, right? I mean, like like Bernie Sanders being out there and being like, I've been against every war since the creation of war, and I was there when Cain killed Abel. I'm sorry, but you were like stumbling. There were only so,
1: two people there, Bernie, and only one of them lived. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's it. A... He was hiding in the bushes in the community. <laughs> but,
2: like Bernie, the fact that Bernie and Biden are the top two candidates means that Biden's the nominee. I just I do not see a situation in which those two are the final two and Sanders walks away with and the did, nomination.
4: Jason Riley was saying today he thought that Bernie was in with a chance. I kind of agree with you on this. I mean, I,
2: I think he's got a chance in yeah. the sense that he could win the caucuses because caucuses are caucus states. Yeah. And he's expected he won to win New, New Hampshire Ham- last time. He won New Hampshire last time, but he won it with 49 percent last time. Right now he's pulling it like 25, 27 percent. If Biden finishes a close second in both those states, it's over. If if, if, hmm. if Biden gets that. to in both those states, if he is in I mean, like you, the 13 percent range, Do you think, do you think rate,
4: Bloomberg has a chance?
2: Huh. So, so Bloomberg's only opportunity is basically that that Biden loses in Iowa and loses heavily enough that New Hampshire becomes crucial to him. He blows all of his money. Sanders then wins New Hampshire anyway. So Biden has lost all of his money. Sanders wins Nevada. And at that point, Biden is basically out of the race because he's blown all of his money. And the only person who's left in the race as a moderate with money is Bloomberg. And right? you know, that's it. That's that's the bet that he's making. and It's a narrow bet. It's not impossible but it's it's also not really The idea anymore.
1: that the that the 2020 Democrat party is going to elect one of the 10 richest people in the world yeah. to be president of the United States an old rich white New York billionaire Jew. Uh, Jew. Yeah. Jew. Uh, <laughs> uh, well like the, is, the like only thing to
0: say though, with never, never say never, Bloomberg. I thought he'd enter the race at zero point two percent. The people who actually ascribe to his views account for like four percent of the electorate. He came in with six percent. He's now nationally tied with Liz Warren, who was the front runner. He, uh, one national poll has him at eleven percent.
2: That's much better than I. thought The invisible he would prop do. on this set is not going to be relevant. Though.
4: His, his, <laughs> his other, uh, <laughs> his other uh, big problem is that he actually supports. Uh, school choice and charter schools, which yeah. and most and he likes
1: Israel. Yeah, likes oh, you, you mean his big and... problem is that he's a Republican?
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a rational human being. Yeah,
1: yeah, we just elected a Democrat, though, so I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Who knows? Up and down living, can, dogs and cats happen. living together. <laughs> well, let's talk about our friends over at Legacy Box. These are one, it's one of my favorite advertisers, Legacy Box. They, you know, it's funny because Ring was our first advertiser tonight. Ring and Legacy Box are like neck and neck. I don't actually know which one was our first <laughs> advertiser, they both came in at the very, very beginning. Of the Ben Shapiro show, back when no one else really would even talk to us, mm. and those two guys, along with Birch Gold, uh, made early deals with it with us that allowed us to grow the business and continue to be here today. We've also had a chance to meet the, the founders of Legacy Box, but the real reason that I love Legacy Box is because the only time in my life that I've actually been the the early adop- adopter, the first person to use something like I used a Legacy Box. I had all these old photographs and tapes, uh, VHS tapes of plays that I did in high school. Mm and I wanted to go back and watch some of them. And I had seen one ad for Legacy Box, I sought them out, I sent my stuff over, got it all back in digitized form, and now, uh, to this day, I'm still able to grab those, uh, those files and send them to people on special that's, occasions. That's and the and saddest give them this, story i well, heard. No,
5: give, give friends from my past
1: these memories of things that they uh, had One day he'll to, make no. it as an actor, guys. He's just going to keep sending <laughs> out those reels. Yeah. So, successful in business, soon to marry into the royal family, and then yeah, <laughs> I expect that will be a very successful actor. Not to be the Duke of Sussex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Legacy Box is very important for preserving your memories. It's a super simple mail-in service to have all of your home movies, pictures, Uh, and other traditional media digitally preserved on a thumb drive DVD or cloud legacy box is the convenient and affordable way to convert old analog media the process from start to finish incredibly easy basically you go to the website they send you a box you put the stuff that you want digitized into the box you send the box back to legacy box when you get it back you're going to get all of your original uh, media still preserved so you're still going to get all those uh, pictures that have been in your family for years all those old VHS tapes or DVDs but you're also going to get a thumb drive or access to the cloud your choice and be able to access all these it's files. It's so cool it's
4: because now, it really is, because now, you know, you take pictures on your phone, yeah. and then you get rid of your phone, and your pictures disappear, or or okay. you, you get your computer crashes. I lost a lot of stuff the last time my computer crashed. A lot of pictures, a lot of things that were, you know, you want to have them saved.
1: That's right. Head over to LegacyBox.com. Go online, purchase the box that you need. You'll get it in the mail. Send it back with the prepaid mailing label, and you're going to get all of your files digitized. Get started preserving your past today. LegacyBox.com slash ben that's right, LegacyBox.com slash bin. I don't even think I get a cut of this. <laughs> You'll get an incredible 40% off of your Legacy Box. Convert as much of your analog media to digital as possible. Buy today. Take advantage of this exclusive offer. Again, that's LegacyBox.com slash bin. 40% off while supplies
2: last. Well, I mean, I, I was just thinking that, that speaking of people on camera, I thought the most important commentary on, on everything happening in Iran came from Patricia Arquette. because Golding will always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hold, hold on. <laughs> I feel like that? Oh, how good was ricky gervais Ah, oh, he the was tremendous magnificent right like that was that was just wonderful we're,
4: we're all going to be saved by comedians because they can't stand being told what not to say
2: That's and in right. the but the best part about the ricky gervais routine was not ricky gervais it was all the cutaways yes, yes. the cutaways were by far the best thing where Tim, you would have the cutaway
4: was the classic
2: oh me. my god uh, <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> couldn't believe that one, <laughs> that, so one that one was spectacular but there, there were some from, like that, that woman from the Gilmore Girls when he was making the joke about Jeffrey Epstein and she just looked like she was sucking on a woman. <laughs> and and, all, and uh, all these various actors and actresses, he would cu- they would cut away to them and they were so upset that anybody would dare prick this balloon of self-esteem exactly. that they and the, have. and
4: the important thing was not just him telling them that they didn't know anything about politics. It was him calling them out for the massive, massive hypocrisy. Tim Cook made one of the stupidest speeches I have ever heard when he said, you know, we're going to take hate off our sites because it's the right thing to do and our conscience is sacred. I thought, you're a billionaire CEO. Shut up. You know, just make your phones and let us do the talking because we're the people. You know, what, who at what point does a billionaire CEO decide that he is the guy in charge of what we can say? I mean, and
2: all he is- say for the billionaire CEO, at least he's providing a product or service that millions of well, people are, are, are gaining so access to. So do it. To. Do it. No, yeah. like that, all, all of that's good, but like Michelle Williams makes art house films that no one's ever seen. <laughs> and, I didn't know and, who she was before she gave that speech. Before she killed the Hare Krishna member, took his <laughs> took his garb, put it on, grabbed a plastic bag, put <laughs> it on her shoulder, and then she went up there and started she, talking about actually, killing actually,
4: babies. This is the thing about them. They're all incredibly talented at what they do, and they should just do it. But her speech
0: was... Yes. I... Had to kill a child yes. in order to get fame and fortune. And That's the oldest
4: story. Balls, the come on. I mean, yeah, right. I, know. I mean, you get a little golden statue. You know? <laughs> if I could get a, something that I could maybe just really put worship. A, you can't you know? put a child on your shelf. Like That's that. very you know, true. fall I mean, off. It. No, was, nothing
2: says female power. Quite like, I had to kill this baby to become an actress. Alyssa Milano said the same thing like three
0: months ago. And you you read about it and you think, I've read that well, what story. Was, what was
2: going on with the set of Charmed? And between Rose McGowan, <laughs> right, who's literally like stumping for the Iranians and saying she, <laughs> she wanted to move over there, uh, and Alyssa Milano, who's also a kook, like what was going on over so here? You know, in the It's the same water? thing
1: that goes on on every set. There is a, Hollywood actually steers into, if you've ever been here and seen any of the architecture, Hollywood steers into this sort of Babylonian pagan yep. uh, ancestry, you know, that they see as sort of being, you know, this was, uh, uh, to quote Don Henley, Gomorrah by the sea. But I think to quote our friend Andrew Breitbart, this was Babylon, this was he, he wrote just, a, a book very famously called uh, "Babylon Sheik." Yeah. Hollywood interrupted "Babylon Sheik," right?
4: I just I just finished Ronan Farrow's book, and I, I have to tell you, I, I, I was listening to it. I'm going on these hikes, and I'd go up, I'd go up, and then I'd I'd meet my wife at the top because she's slower than I am, and then we walk down together. By the time I'd walk down, I was like frothing at the mouth with the rage, the hypocrisy. Ronan Farrow, who, you know, he was heroic in this instance. He was mm-hmm. heroic yeah, in this instance, sure. but he kept bringing them this stuff, and they kept saying they wouldn't even say we're not going to do this because we got pressure from Harvey Weinstein. They wouldn't even say that. All they would say is, let's put on pause. Let's put it on the back burner. And it turned out the reason they were doing it is because they were protecting Matt Lauer, who was doing exactly the same thing right under their nose, and everybody knew it. The corruption is, is incredible in these industries. And to have Gervais stand up and say, not that you shouldn't talk about it because you don't know about it, but you shouldn't talk about it because you're the worst people in the country. You work for the worst people in the country. And the guy out in the Midwest in his checked shirt, who's voting for Donald Trump, hasn't done those things. You know, he hasn't organized the incredible mass abuse of young women. Uh, but, and but this and covered is actually up.
1: where I was going with the Babylon thing, that they don't hear what they're actually saying. If I mm. had to say, I had to kill my little sister to build the Daily Wire, <laughs> everyone would go, well, that's... Maybe, maybe it wasn't worth it. That's not a good thing. Uh, but they have this Babylonian pagan mentality, and it's actually a real insight into the truth about abortion. Abortion is just paganism. Yes. It's just the belief yeah. that if you kill your children, the sky god will send yeah. rain it's and small. you'll get more yeah. crops. That it's a genuine belief that if we sacrifice our babies, we will be more materially successful. Yeah.
4: And so well, this it's ex- no. This explains why they hate the Jews. This is what the Jews put an end to, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> the Jews brought us monotheism. Monotheism <laughs> defeated
4: Babylonian payons. And it, it stopped sacrificing it your stopped children. The sacrificing the ball, yeah. of them. You
0: know, there was one, mo- I actually have to give credit to an actor at the Golden Globes, other than Ricky Gervais, and that is Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Felix. I agree. Joaquin Phoenix goes up there, and he is a lefty, right? His whole speech was about environmentalism, how we have to save the planet. But in his speech, he said, look, guys, it's really good, you know, to have all these kind of gimmicky dinners and stuff. Maybe don't fly private everywhere. Maybe fly commercial, like, once every so often. Just maybe you should do something in your own life rather than just prattle on and tell everyone else what
2: to do. Although I will say that I have hypocrisy (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix story. So very, very recently, I was visiting a restaurant. I won't mention which restaurant. And it was, the restaurant was about to open and Joaquin Phoenix walks in and he's at the counter. And this is a restaurant that basically sells only meat. Like it only sells meat. And he walked in and he walked out with a box and he, or I think he had to leave because he couldn't wait for the box or something. And he was wearing a vegan shirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is it hypocrisy or is the guy just he Is he yeah. actually hip enough to know that that's funny? Uh, maybe. <laughs> that's true. I,
2: know, so, but, I mean, he's the Joker. He just wants to burn the world. Best, to burn. <laughs> honestly, I thought that the best joke was not even that one. I thought that the best joke that Gervais told was the thing about how he was going to do an In Memoriam, but there were too many white people and not on that's, his watch. Yeah, because, because you know that that's what's going to happen at this year's Oscars, right? Yeah. I, I I just had Brett Easton Ellis on my, on my show today, and we were talking about the Golden Globes. And he was saying that when it comes to the BAFTA Awards, for example— all 20 nominees in all the categories are white, yeah. which means we're going to get another Oscar so white routine this year. How about there were just a lot of really good movies that got made and they happen to have white people in them? Like No, no, it, that's, not, that's, that's, that's yeah. not allowed. And, and the that's line not
4: allowed. about the foreign press, the Hollywood foreign press being racist, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that is just stone <laughs> true. They, well, know. the
1: only place where you're not allowed to be a racist is, is America. I know. <laughs> I mean,
5: that's actually one of
1: the funny uh, funny truths. Like, you've talked about it before, Drew. You you can be uh, black and, of course, you're just an American. If you were born right. in America, you grew up in America. Not so much in Germany, or not no, so much. I in, don't know. The
0: Rose McGowan said that Iran is pretty progressive on
1: these <laughs> issues. So.
4: I feel, I. I feel for poor Rose McGowan. I, uh, Harvey Weinstein actually did a number on her. And yeah. she, she's an actress. She went nuts. You know. So. Well, yeah,
1: and and she was fairly heroic in that yes, uh, situation as
4: well. Absolutely. But absolutely. also still crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No. no. Well, it's fun, funnily enough, you don't get to abuse women just because they're crazy. If you did, we'd all be having a big party. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And with that, we probably ought to check back in with Alicia
4: <laughs> over in the pool speaking, speaking of crazy women.
1: <laughs> we're going to have Alicia try to save us from ourselves. Uh, we're going to have Alicia try to save us from ourselves. If you are a Daily Wire subscriber, uh, be sure and send your questions into Alicia. She will get them to us. If you're not a Daily Wire subscriber, however, what are you waiting on? Now is the time. If you want to get 15% off of your Daily Wire membership, head over to DailyWire.com right now. Use the promo code backstage because this show is called... Backstage. <laughs> wow. We'll give you 15% off. You will become a subscriber. You will be able to beam Alicia all of your questions. You will also be able to talk to us after the show. We have this new feature on the website that allows us to do live chats with our All Access members. We're going to be able to, uh, it's almost like a Reddit AMA. You write in your questions, we write back responses. This will be the third time that we've done it following this show. And I, I love it. I think it's a great it's awesome, addition. Yeah. It's really fun. You know, when we take the questions live, you can only fit fit so many into the show. When all four of us are able to engage in this chat feature and really go directly to some of our... Um, we'll crank through 100 questions on this thing. Oh, yeah. We answer Easy. at least 100 questions. Yeah. So head over to dailywire.com slash backstage. Use the promo code backstage to get 15% off but only if you do it over the next half hour during the duration of this show. That's the only way you're going to be able to get that 15% off. Dailywire.com promo code backstage. Do it now, because soon you will be dead. (laughs) And and when you die, your loved ones will be miserable, because they will not be able to get into your uh, DailyWire.com account, because they will not know your password, because you have not made adequate preparations for your demise. They will have greater concerns, however, than not only not being able to join us for our- and There's man's
4: a legend, isn't he? <laughs> Segway legend. He? They
1: will have greater <laughs> concerns called uh, abject poverty and despair, <laughs> unless you head over to policygenius.com. PolicyGenius, uh, a great sponsor of all of our content here at The Daily Wire, and PolicyGenius makes the uh, unavoidable at least uh, something that you can prepare for. That's why life insurance exists, not so that your loved ones can go to Daily Wire, but more like so that they can pay their bills, and so that your kids can still go to college. To account for the unpredictability of life, you need life insurance. Policy Genius can help. Head over to PolicyGenius.com. They will help you find the right life insurance in a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save 1,500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Super simple. You go on there, you're going to see not only what Policy Genius uh, is offering, you're going well, you're going to see a range of options being offered by Policy Genius, so that you can make the most informed decision for yourself and your family. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home, auto, and disability insurance. You guys all use Policy Genius.
2: Of
4: course. It's great. I'm not that I'm ever going to die. Here's the
2: thing. Money, they, they say money can't buy you happiness, but they're lying to you. Money,
1: money, money can indeed buy you happiness. Well, money and, can buy
2: you watches. Right. And, and watches, watches equal bring you happiness. happiness. So if you were to die, your family would be sad. But the good news is that because money buys you happiness, that sadness may only be temporary if you get the proper amount of life insurance. And this is where Timmy,
1: policy genius... your father's dead. Oh, no. Timmy, your father had a hearty life insurance policy.
5: <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but don't leave them bereft. Don't be buried no. in a pauper's grave. Instead, make sure that you actually leave your family with something to live on. If, God forbid, you should plots, go check out policygenius.com.
1: That's right, policygenius.com. If your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It just takes a few minutes to find your best price and apply. PolicyGenius.com. That is PolicyGenius.com. I said we were going to go to Alicia. You're never supposed to uh, telecast when you make a mistake. You're just supposed to seamlessly act as though I had never offered to pitch it to Alicia, and now we just go into another news story. But they keep trying to tell—they're in my ear saying, "Don't go to Alicia! Don't go to Alicia!" They're putting on the teleprompter, "Alicia <laughs> isn't ready. Alicia isn't ready," and I'm so desperate to know where the hell is she go? I just can't help but say, "Yeah, I don't know, folks." She'll get to your questions here just a little bit. She walked out after that crazy joke. The crazy joke. That's what it was. I actually, with that crazy
0: joke, I was about to put out a disclaimer to Media Matters. (laughs) They're all still at Suleimani's
1: funeral, so I actually don't,
0: we're not even watching. (laughs) (laughs)
5: It's
1: fine. We were talking before the show, and it's actually something that I think when we talk about it uh, live on the air, it's always one of the more engaging things that we have. But because the news is usually so overwhelming, we don't get a chance there were a lot of great movies made this year. <laughs> there were,
4: yes. You know, my, my, my son Spencer has a theory that the the fact that the Marvel Universe has played itself out has opened up, not not the money because the money is already being spent, but it has opened up the imagination in Hollywood because it really was remarkable. The end of this year, one good adult movie after another right, yeah. about real people with real problems, you know, came out. And they were it was great, great yeah. stuff. I, mean,
2: I finally had a chance to watch a bunch of them at the end of the year. So what was your favorite movie of the year?
4: I think, oh Boy, that's a, that's a tough one. I loved, I, I really enjoyed Knives Out, which I didn't think mm. was a great film, mm-hmm. but I just thought it was incredibly entertaining. And as a mystery writer, I usually sit there and pick these things apart, but I was sitting there going, no, this is good. This is a good mystery It's story. incredibly
1: well plotted, yeah, actually, and it's yeah. a very complex plot, and he makes it accessible, yep. uh, the director. And as I was saying before the show, it's the first film that I've seen in a long time where I actually felt like the filmmaker's only motive was to entertain. That,
4: which is, so, I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely. I think I think that my favorite film this year was uh, the Tarantino film, and I'm not a Tarantino fan, yeah. but I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the first film with really great values. Just it, it was just imbued. I mean, that's not what makes a film great, except that it did move the movie, mm-hmm. that they had these characters that you really liked who rose above what they were and who rose above the Hollywood culture. And it had the last 15 minutes, I laughed without stopping. I mean, I just laughed with, I sat there laughing. It's
2: really the stopping. only place in the movie where there's brutal violence, because normally <laughs> yeah. with a Tarantino you know, film, you expect brutal violence the entire yeah. way. But yeah. it's really violence free up until the last 15 minutes. Yeah. And then it is brutal violence. And my wife, who despises brutal violence, she was watching it and she was cringing, but she was also laughing hysterically. It was really the funny. The, the final punchline of the movie is yes. so unbelievably yeah. funny and yeah. it's well that, set
0: up. It's re- you know what's what's so great about that movie. It, that was actually my favorite movie of the year too. And I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think, it, but I thought it was very very good. It's about the exact moment when Hollywood completely went crazy. It, it was yes, right yeah. there. And so you saw what was being lost and you saw what was coming in. And
2: that's sort of the theme, right? So, if yeah. you, so for those who don't know sort of the setup of the film, basically Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski live next door to Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. who's a failing 1950s, 60s Western star. He's, who's, he, he's supposed supposed Eastwood be Clint Eastwood before East, he the, yeah. Of, right, because he, he ends up doing some spaghetti Westerns and right. all of this. And he's actually a very good actor. Right? He's supposed to be a very good actor, very talented guy, but he's being left behind by the Art Nouveau, crowd. And his stunt double, who is Brad Pitt, is this old World War II veteran who's incredibly competent at in everything he does. He's just incredibly competent, but doesn't actually have a life. He you know, just kind of sits around his chauffeur for Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's about how these two guys, one of whom portrays the manly man version on TV, but isn't actually all that manly, and the one who actually is the yep. manly man who makes sure that the, the fake manly man can keep safe. It's about how these two guys are being left behind by Hollywood. And if only Hollywood, because it's an alternative history like all of Tarantino's movies have now become, the the entire thing is basically if 1970s Hollywood had not thrown away the masculinity that was inherent in 1950s and 60s Hollywood, it would have saved Hollywood as opposed to destroying it.
4: It it had a scene at the ranch. It it involves the Manson. The Manson family, yeah. It has a scene out at the Manson Ranch May have been the most suspenseful scene I've seen in a movie in ten years. It was it was literally Hitchcockian. It was quiet. It was yeah. understated. Yeah. It reminded me of the last scene of Notorious, which is just a guy walking down a flight of stairs, uh, and you just sit there on the edge of well, your. Well, Tarantino seat, does like, have
2: a gift for that, right? There's that Christoph Waltz scene in Inglorious Basketball. Yes, in the opening, the, the opening, opening scene. But intense.
4: but this was quieter. I mean, th- that was that was a setup. This was just like you understood, first of all, the incredible decency of the Brad Pitt character, what he was doing, and you understood he was surrounded by evil. And it was just a man doing the right thing in the midst of evil, and you sat there... Also, man, if you
2: don't like hippies, this is the movie for you. Yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. He just won the award last night.
0: I forget what, what it was, Producers Guild or something. And the, or Directors Guild, who knows. He wins the award, and he goes up and he dedicates the movie... To John Millius, mm. who is one of the great directors in Hollywood history and one of the only conservatives in town, and it, it for me it sort of confirmed what I thought, which is that this really is a lowercase C conservative movie. It's about conserving something that was lost. Yeah.
3: It's
2: really you know, the, the other conservative moment. movie that, of this year that they didn't realize was conservative because they never realized they're making no, a course, conservative right. film. It's just a conservative film. Right. Was Ford versus Ferrari, which yeah. is just a great, great film. American film about cars and men, and men doing manly things that are responsible, yep. and building cool stuff, yep. and doing so in order to promote America as opposed to foreigners. And it's 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 just, it's such a, a uniquely conservative film. And it's so funny, because Hollywood thinks of it as, well, this is them speaking up against the, the nastiness of capitalism, because the sort of quasi-villain of the film is Henry Ford II, right. who was, in fact, not a very good CEO. But the entire premise of the film is that it's the capitalist enterprise that gets this thing going and off the ground and allows them to build this what, really
4: cool stuff. What I loved about it, though, was it was an honest... I mean, art is always a little culture-critical. You know, art doesn't just celebrate a culture. It always, And what I liked about it is it showed capitalism... In all its all the good of it and all the bad mm-hmm. of it, it showed you how corporate society can crush individuals and not let them do what they can do best. But it also showed you how the competition that it uh, inspires builds things that are wonderful, you know. And it, it was it was really honest. It was an honest film.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought it was quite wonderful. And, that, and both of those movies you should see in the theater. You know, and and I, 1917, I've seen. Yeah, I've also, seen that. Which, yeah. it, which was I saw an early an early uh, showing, and yeah. it's it's great, it's great. Which I did not expect it to be because I, I because the director. Um, is it Sam Mendes, I think, who directed it? Yeah, him? Sam Mendes. Um, so, so I'm not a huge Sam Mendes fan. Like, American Beauty, I think, is one of the worst films ever. Oh, I've
4: it's played. one of the worst films
2: uh, ever. But this film is actually quite <laughs> I good. That, yeah. And it's and the, the entire kind of conceit of the film from a directorial point of view is that it is one long tracking shot for two hours. Mm. Yeah. And so that gets unbelievably creative because they're full-on battle scenes happening through this one tracking shot for two hours. It's it's, it's It doesn't feel as gimmicky as it did in Birdman. I remember Birdman yeah. which oh, yeah, one best yeah. picture and it's yeah. incredibly gimmicky and it's just not a good movie. I, this actually I like, I like Birdman. Of I course I like it oh, all, uh, all, all you theater people <laughs> Birdman's a load of bullshit. Anyway, anyway <laughs> Birdman is garbage. This is not a garbage film and it's and it does have honest, actual respect for soldiers in World War I without any of the sort of revisionist history yeah. where the British soldiers were dupes and morons oh, of, yeah, the, yeah. of the higher-ups, the sort of paths of glory view of World War I. Right. It, it really doesn't have that. It's, it's these guys who are being brave for the sake of being brave and are fighting some pretty vicious people because it turns out the Hun was not a great folks. <laughs> in, yeah. in They're pretty anyway. brutal
0: on the Germans in the movie. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I have to disagree a little bit with this. I, I will agree with you in that, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I liked every minute of it it 's unbelievably well shot it 's beautiful. The performance by the main actor is really right. outstanding. yeah however, I left the movie i won 't give any spoilers, but I left the movie feeling that it was more a video game than a movie mm. that it actually and, and my takeaway from that is that the movie, like so many movies today just became about how skillful the movie was mm. rather than about telling a full story with full character and full plot. I think
1: that it's not a film that could have ever been made in yeah. the past. The, the ability to do a movie that's essentially a guy running right. for yeah. two right. hours and actually it's, have that be technically Kelly. impossible.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, did you, uh, you see
4: Richard Jewell? No, you said this. You know, good. it's it's funny. When it came out and it bombed, I cringed because I knew what all the stories we're going to say it was it was Clint Eastwood's biggest bomb since True Crime which was based on my novel. <laughs> and, but the only difference was True Crime was not one of Clint's best movies, you know. And this and this was a really good movie and the performances are unbelievable. Olivia Wilde who plays the kind of wild crazy reporter who'll do anything for a story. And I've worked with a lot of those women basically. And she gets that character. She is so real. She's almost three-dimensional. She almost comes out of the screen and stands there in front of you. It's an unbelievable performance. The lead guy, whose name I don't even know, uh, who plays Richard Jewell, it's like an an uncanny performance. It's just like you you, you forget that he's acting. Uh, I know that's a cliched thing to say, but you actually forget that he's not the guy. It, it's a really good movie and the thing that's different, the funny thing about True Crime is True Crime is about a white guy who's put on, the novel is about a white guy who's put on death row because they don't want any more black guys on death row yeah. and they make a mistake, you know, and and they changed it in the movie and made him a black guy which ruined the entire story. Yeah. In this one, Clint just goes for it. He just says the press is dishonest. They stink. Ordinary Americans are where it's at and it's really, really beautiful. You know?
2: yeah. did, did any of you guys see Joker? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, what, what did you what did you guys think? Well,
4: of? you know, I don't like. I didn't like Taxi Driver, and I thought this was kind of a better version of <laughs> Taxi Driver. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't totally taken with it.
0: I mean, I think he's a good actor. He's he's kind of limited in at least the types of roles he plays. It's he is pretty much always playing some version of the Joker, mm-hmm. this very intense, introspective kind of weird guy. Uh, but I I just felt it it didn't. I, I hate the superhero movies. Yeah. I felt it didn't really do respect to anything about that superhero story and that superhero genre. So I can't say I loved it.
2: Yeah, so this was sort of my take as well, which was that on its own, if it was just a movie about a dispossessed guy going nuts, which is basically yeah. the movie. Yeah. Then it works from that perspective, and the, and there is a scene with Robert De Niro near the end that really is a truly great. It's scene. It's a phenomenal. It scene. is a really really good scene, and it is again a commentary on the media and what the media do. And anytime they comment, I mean, yeah. there may be a theme that you've noticed in the <laughs> <laughs> show, yeah. which is that anything that rips on the media, we're in favor of. Yeah. But the but my my biggest problem with the film is that because the Joker is a Batman character, the entire question is does he provide a worthy rival to Batman mm. for me as a fan of the Batman series, okay. and so Heath Ledger. Obviously, his character is insanely clever. He's pre-planning everything. He's always three steps ahead. So the fact that Batman has a hard time handling him makes a lot of sense. In this movie, basically, the Joker is a loser with severe mental illness who sort of lucks into these plots, but he keeps getting arrested. I mean, he's, he's pretty mm. feckless. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not good at what he does, and he's not subtle about it's what he does. interesting. I anyway. hadn't thought of that. And yeah. so the yeah. idea that Bruce Wayne, who's supposed to be this genius billionaire with unlimited resources, would have any trouble at all capturing the Joker right. or putting him down... That didn't play for me, but but yeah. otherwise I I, I kind of thought it was overrated, which I was shocked by because I thought I was gonna like it based on how the fact the critics were kind of ripping
5: yeah. on it. In really. fairness,
1: the Joker always gets caught by Batman.
5: <laughs> like half of every, ba- almost every Batman almost every Batman
1: story starts with at Arkham Asylum <laughs> in the bottom cell. And the Joker's actually already caught. And then it he's like,
2: I'm going to escape. <laughs> but it has to be a challenge, right? Right. And so the, it, I, I, I talk
4: it. about a conservative film, though. I mean, that film t- basically took place in the New York of the 70s and 80s. Right. It's the in- indication of its corruption is the porno uh, films being shown all over the place. And right. and basically, the Joker is an anti capitalist. And, right. they, and they show Bruce Bruce Wayne's father, I guess yeah, his it is. Dad, they show Thomas, him as kind yeah. of a jerk. But still, I mean, but he's not wrong. He's, he's wrong. a jerk, but he's not wrong. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, he's not really
0: unfair or unjust. He's, you're yeah. right.
4: And it was kind of a rebuke to that film that I hate so much, V, v is for Vendetta. Oh, uh, it, it was for Vendetta is a piece of Rebuke for that, ball. because it shows the guys in the masks are really the bad guys, you know? And, yeah. and I thought that was really worthwhile, too. Yep.
1: So you guys you guys know who's back? Who? Oh, Alicia. Oh, uh, really? oh, wow. Yeah. Alicia, where were you? Where were you?
3: Well, you know, I go to a special pump room because if I were to do that on camera, you guys should charge more for <laughs> subscribers. But I am back. And I really think... I that... was
0: not expecting that. <laughs> I, I just have that. to say, of all of the answers...
3: <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> but I am back. And I think that you guys really forgot to tell the audience, I, I know your favorite film, uh, you know that was totally unrecognized was truly cats. Let's be oh, yeah, obvious. Oh.
5: <laughs> Magical
1: Mr. Mistopheles' performance was just stunning. If there's Brand one doings. thing that makes uh, the work of Andrew Lloyd Webber even more <laughs> sublime, it's uh, beautiful Hollywood starlets. Mm-hmm. Teetering on the backside of the uncanny divide, <laughs> doing sexual impressions
5: of felines.
4: It, I'm in. Uh, T. S. Eliot, who was actually a good poet, must be rolling over in his grave that this is what remains. He wrote those little po- awful poems <laughs> for awful his grandkid poems. or something, yeah, yeah.
0: meant to be hidden away in a box somewhere, yeah. never. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber basically blows up his whole life
1: I
2: actually don't hate Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> no, no, I, I like. Hate, I hate cats. Yeah, I
4: hate cats, but I like Phantom of the Opera. No, phantom, fan, phantom Phantom's true.
2: Phantom is well crafted. Yeah. Yeah. Cats is just. Absolutely. Hey, hold on. Wait, hold,
3: are
0: you telling me that? <laughs> just listen to these poetic lyrics Jellical, Jellical Cats,
1: Jellical Cats. Jellicle cats. It does, it's like a bad fiber You don't like that? Alicia, what are uh, our DailyWire.com subscribers telling us?
3: Well, continuing with the Golden Globes Hollywood conversation, people are, of course, all week long have been talking about how Netflix was the most nominated studio at the Globes, mm. yet they didn't walk away with a single win. Uh, do mm. you guys agree with that decision? By It's not the Academy. What is it? The uh, so, Foreign Press, whatever, whatever it is called. Uh, do you guys agree with that, or do you think any of the Netflix things that were nominated should have won? No, none of, them, none
2: of them should have won. Yeah. Mar- well, a Marriage Story is the most overrated film of the year by by a very very large margin, and maybe close second is Irishman. Oh both my God! Of the, both yeah, just awful, yeah. interminable, nine hours long. It's like Wagnerian <laughs> ring cycle
4: with less <laughs> it's action. <totally> self referential <laughs> and not not. Entertaining. It's, it's awful in yeah.
2: every way. Like I I, yeah. I I will watch those movies. Like I'm I'm kind of a sucker for those types yeah, of movies, me too. even if I don't really I don't love the morality of them, but. If I get caught in the middle of Goodfellas, even though I don't even like the movie Goodfellas, I will still watch the movie Goodfellas. Yeah. You know, I th- if I got caught in the middle of Irishman, I, you could flick the channel so easily. There's no rewatchability to it at all. It's just awful. And A Marriage Story is the most – it's like – have any of you guys seen – I know you've seen it, Drew. But have any of you guys seen Kramer versus Kramer? Yeah. Sure. 1979 film with Dustin Hoffman and – and yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. It's good movie. And, right. It is – in Meryl Streep. Yeah. It's like Kramer versus Kramer if both characters were Meryl Streep. <laughs> you mean like so, nutty neurotic? Nutty, leaving to find myself, abandoning my child. <laughs> yeah. I have to go find my fulfillment. That's what they both are. They're both awful theater people uh-huh. who make absolute pap. And then they are like, well, I have to stay in New York to pursue my career. <laughs> and the woman's like, but I have to leave to go to L.A. to pursue television. And then the child is like, what the? At <laughs> <laughs> <Like, laughs> no, po- no point anywhere in the movie... Does anybody go? By the way, we have this child. And wouldn't it be nice if, like, one of us sublimated our own desires to, you know, take care of our children oh like any God. decent parent on right. planet Earth would? And and the fact that this is celebrated as like the bravery, the bravery I, is just I, I couldn't. I, do, stand it. I I do
4: want to say it. one good thing about The Irishman is I once asked my brother, "Is there in in, in self examination, is there a gangster movie so bad that I wouldn't like it?" And finally, I found one, and I feel so much better now. No, you know, I
0: think there was a <laughs> really amazing. brave choice that Scorsese made, which was to make young De Niro and young Pesci <laughs> hobble around like people.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I
5: just didn't expect it. I, honestly,
2: I they kept saying that they used the de-aging technology, and I was like, but Robert De Niro looks the same at 20 as he does at 80. Like, literally the same, in the face, too. Right? They de-age him, and he doesn't look like, like... We all know what 20-year-old Robert De Niro right. looks like because he was in the movies when he was 25. <laughs> he was the and, and, and you're, and you're and watching he was him, skinny,
4: and, and, you know, you know and he, stand funny, up straight, and he was and he
2: was, and he had, it was a very good looking guy. Yeah. And and now it just looks like Robert De Niro with a lot of makeup. And <laughs> Robert De Niro, old, is Robert De Niro with a little bit of makeup. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene where Robert De Niro kicks the crap out of the guy on the curb is one of it, like, it was at that point that Scorsese should have just gone and reshot the entire scene. Because <laughs> him kicking the crap out of the guy on the curb, he's supposed to be maybe 40 yeah. at that point in the film. And he does it in front of his daughter, so it's kind of a crucial scene. He can't right. just cut it. It looks like your grandfather trying to avoid breaking a hip while dancing the Macarena. It's the most
5: ridiculous thing in the entire world.
2: That
1: that was too real. (laughs) (laughs) Elisha.
3: All right. So now we found out that unfortunately the Oscars for a second year in a row will not have a host. And Ricky Gervais said that he will no longer host the Globes. But do you think he will? Will he be back? Will the Oscars ever have a host? What's going to happen?
4: I'm going to host the Oscars (laughs) because I have never made a a comment like Kevin Hart has made. Oh, wait, that's all I do. I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot.
1: (laughs) I don't think Ricky Gervais will ever come back. I think Ricky Gervais is the kind of guy who understands the power of going out on top. Mm-hmm. I think he just made his statement.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Oscars, of course the Oscars will have a host again. They'll have a host again when we're on the other side of Me Too and Trump.
5: Mm.
2: And right now That host name will be Hannah Gadsby, the funniest.
5: <laughs> <is unplanned> <laughs>
2: redefining comedy mm. is everything that is not funny. So you've just been getting it wrong for thousands. <laughs> <You got laughs> right. Comedy means not funny. It's tragedy. It's tragedy, r- tra- <laughs> correct, <laughs>
4: correct. Is Hollywood going to ever be able to get out of the box they put themselves in. You I mean, see, this is why This is why I feel that yeah. conservatives, if there were no leftists, conservatives would be the stupidest people in the country because this is the moment <laughs> this for is right. us to build an industry that makes good films that people like and, and are openly patriotic and openly, you know... But for, forget I, dramas.
2: How about comedies? Really? Hey, the the, the yeah. space to run in comedy right now is yeah. just endless. It's endless yeah. because the left has banned everything Everything, Everything yeah. and you're getting Everything. great comedy
0: specials right now, by the way. Right, yeah. a lot of great Chappelle, comedy Norm, specials
2: obviously. That, that everybody that everybody can watch. And instead, what you're getting from Hollywood is, well, what if we remade? What if we remade Ghostbusters but with women? I yeah. <laughs> now that there, there, there's this new movie that that it's a remake, and I'm trying to remember what it's of, and it's it's uh, about female CEOs. And it's like every movie has to be a comedy in which the the conceit is that it's women basically not being funny as women, because there are movies where women are funny as women, but women being men, and right. all the all of the lines could be written for men. It's just that it's women playing the parts, and yeah. this is supposed to be funny. The problem is that when stuff happens to women, it's not funny in the same way as when it happens to men. I mean, right. I've said this before on the show, but my wife dies laughing when I clock myself in the head. Like <laughs> if, I, if I walk into the kitchen and I smack my face on a, and this is for the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers, yeah, if you walk in and you clock yourself in the head Everybody in the audience laughs. Right. Right. Or if you get hit in the crotch, everybody laughs. It's yeah. funny. If a woman clocks herself in the head, no one's going to laugh because your first concern is, is she OK? Right. 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 The, the, that's a
4: really good point. And you know, like they, they used to make those films, uh, Three Men and a Baby. Men changing diapers is funny. That's and, funny. And, and if feminists would say, what's so funny about it? Well, it's just funny because you know, they do it badly. I mean, they do it badly. They're not used to it. You know,
2: I actually. Well, uh, that, that's the other thing is that comedy is very largely about people. Failing to live up to expectation. Yeah. Right. So it's right. so it's men trying to do something and then being really bad at it, and that's really funny. But the conceit of Hollywood is that women both can be funny and also cannot be bad at anything. Right. So if right. so, there's can never be a comedy about a person who's just insanely competent at things. That's not funny in the yeah. slightest. Right. That's actually just called a drama. <laughs> you know,
0: that's the difference between Incredibles and Incredibles Two. Is Incredibles One was before the kind of Obama PC era, so the the mother had flaws and problems, and in Incredibles Two. She doesn't, you know, and the dad is terrible at everything. I'm actually less hopeful than you are that, that and less hopeful than you are that, that Hollywood will recover at some point. Kind of to your point on art forms. I think art forms have their moment. Yeah, movies are gone. And movies are are gone, and there'll be something out of Hollywood, I guess, or there will be some new version of Hollywood, but I think the movies
4: are are pretty much I mean, done. Did you guys see what happened to me this week on the Witcher thing? Yeah,
5: oh <laughs> my oh, was, gosh, unbelievable! Uh, well, because
4: yeah. I read Newsweek so often, yeah. so I saw that <laughs> hit piece. Forbes went after me. Yeah. You know, they they had this ca- this female character who goes out into a medi- what is essentially a medieval battle with a sword and comes back covered in blood and eats a you know takes a rips off a leg off a turkey and bites yeah. it. So why not just make it? It's a man. That's a man character. You know, because because a woman. Does she
2: have magical powers or anything? Or no,
4: just, no, nothing, nothing.
2: She's just like a normal female who walks right. into a battle with a sword and, and in about, 1400 and, she, and, and she walks about, away and, and fine. She's
4: about your size, uh, uh, you know, as, but a, and a woman. So, so she's so, not you know, like
2: Brienne of Tarth or something. She's not six no, foot No, that
4: was, that was a great character because Brienne of Tarth had this sadness about not being a, woman. a feminine person. Also,
2: it's credible when she beats the crap out of someone. That, she's eight feet she, tall.
4: Right, exactly. So I said, you know, that woman would be killed in a moment. And the fury that was unleashed on me, and yeah. I, I was thinking, no. And, and they were challenging me to a sword fight. And I said, you know, if you're in a medieval sword fight, you're not going to be fighting a 65-year-old scribe. <laughs> <laughs> Another warrior who's twice your size. And I just thought, like, why, why do we have to lie? You know, I mean, there's so many powerful women characters, so many ways to make women admirable and respectable and, mm-hmm. and, and make you care about them. So, characters, when you watch the movie The Ring... The yeah. fact that she has a man who does all the heavy lifting for her makes you uh, admire her courage because she's going into a place where she can't really fight like a man can and it's you just that you're worried for her. Also, by the way, in
2: real life, the stuff that women do that's really courageous is just as courageous as the stuff that men do. It's right. just different
4: stuff. That's right.
1: But this comes back to the fact that when very serious people say very serious things, people believe it. There are mm-hmm. people in our company, I've had these conversations with some of the young men who work for us in this company who don't know What is just simple fact that men are stronger physically than women?
2: (laughs) On average. On average. Of course, we always have to add There's always exceptions. Of course, but you have to say on average that people aren't morons. What he means is on average, obviously. Yes, Brienne of Tarth is stronger than the scrawny five-foot-three guy. Like, come on. And
4: that's always their answer. Well, here's a woman who's strong. You think like, you know, I get it. Yeah, (laughs) look at Joan of Arc. You Joan of Arc? I don't think so.
1: Even when you watch Star Wars and you make allowances because the force, because there's this magical thing. Right. But the truth is, if a 90-pound actress swung a bat at a... At Adam Driver, who's an at, ex-military bat. At right. Adam Driver also swinging a bat, the 90-pound actress would eat both bats. Right, right. It. I also love it when, like, so they solved this by giving the woman a bow and arrow. Not a compound bow, which a woman could use, because that's a modern piece of technology. But bow and arrow. I couldn't shoot a freaking bow and arrow. It takes so much yeah. upper body strength to actually utilize that rudimentary bow and arrow. You're you're, putting women in positions where they're acting as though women have the same level of physical... Honestly, it was Do the reason, by the way, that
2: it? I liked Rise of Skywalker is because they actually solved that problem. That was the biggest problem with Rey's character, and they solved it. Right? They, I mean, not but, to give know, a spoiler, we... they did solve it. I mean, yeah, I, I won't but... give the spoiler. They actually explain why she is great at everything, so she's yeah, not just a complete just... Mary Sue. And you're like, okay, that makes sense now. I it's, agree. Just, but it requires think... that magic in order for that to be credible at all. Otherwise, you're spending six years after Force Awakens going, Hold up a second. She picks up a sword for the first time and she beats the guy who's defending at the first. Here's what I'll say: the, the most
1: badass fighting women out there won't fight men.
2: Of course not. Well, do, you, of course you, not. do you? The only gonna...
1: people who will say, "Well, here's this badass fighting woman. You're saying you could take her?" Well, no. I'm not saying I could take her. But she won't fight men like her.
4: That's right. That's do, you I mean.
0: use her as an example, you, but she wouldn't use herself. Do you as remember the moment when the Serena Williams controversy blew up? Yes. Yeah. Can one of the great female tennis players beat a man? And initially she said no, and then later on she sort of turned it into yes, of course I could. They actually did this. This happened in 1996. There was a battle of the sexes, and the Williams sisters said, we could beat a man who's ranked outside of the top 200. So they found a guy who was ranked like 203 named Karsten Brosh. He started his morning by playing a round of golf, smoking cigarettes, (laughs) drinking two beers. He then played the the Williams sisters back to back. He beat one of them six to two, and he beat the other one six to one.
4: The, the thing and that's is, not a sign. Because if all you respect about women, whether they compete with men, you have no respect for women. This that's is the right. Thing. This is that's, right This gets me. It's essentially that Michelle Williams getting up and saying, "I had an abortion, so I win a prize." That's erasing your womanhood. That's not. Right. Being, that's not. Right. A, 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 a By the way, women, women the are now the show.
2: majority of medical students for the first time. Women are the majority of college students right now. And this idea that women are, uh, the, in order to prove that they're great at things, have to prove that they are great at all the things that men are great at, is just absurd. Like, I, in order to establish parity, do we have to establish that women are going to comprise the same percentage of the firefighting force as men? Or can we just be happy that women are the majority of doctors? Like, what, like, what, what is the problem here?
4: I'm, I'm happy that women are the majority of women. I think that that's... not for long. Yeah, not for long. But, but I, well, exactly. I mean, they're trying to erase, you know, half of humankind. And one and of... Uh, a half that I happen to be particularly fond of. Well, this is you know, the, actual, the irony on of on. the
1: whole thing is that the left hates women.
4: They do hate women. Of course they the do. Left well, women. because if all, all you think of women is are you is the same as a man, that's not respecting women. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Alicia.
4: A woman, an actual woman.
1: (laughs) An actual actual (laughs) woman Elisha.
3: An actual woman Elisha. And now for the
1: woman's perspective.
5: (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, really?
3: Oh, really? That could be fun. All right. Do do you guys really think any more Hollywood celebrities are going to follow the Ricky Gervais example and speak out about the hypocrisy or not?
1: Yes, uh, but only comedians. Only comedians, comedians, yeah. (laughs)
3: I think it's actually a really fun time in comedy because nobody's being like, well, there are the handful of people being woke in comedy, including some of the unfunny people that you already mentioned. But I hope that this is a... I don't care if my comedians left right or center. I just want them to be funny and to offend everyone. To be funny.
4: Yeah. I want to say in Ricky Gervais's behalf, I know he's not actually a conservative. Yeah. But he does own the trees that border my property, and he lets me cut them down every year so I can see L.A. So <laughs> I, I really admire that.
1: That's not, not conservative. <laughs> but, of course, one of the things... a The mistake that we make uh, on the right is any time... Uh, someone shows any movement outside of left-wing orthodoxy as we try to suddenly claim them. Of course, Ricky Gervais is a conservative. And and,
4: and the thing is, I don't actually want to claim them, but but I would like him to notice. He sent out a tweet saying, how can I be right-wing when I'm making fun of corporations? Name a corporation that's not left-wing at this point. Right. I mean, the big yeah. corporations are all left-wing because they caught on to the fact that big government is good for big business.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things, too, is I hope that they notice who it is who isn't attacking them mm. when they say things, even the things that we don't agree with. Yeah. Like our friend Bridget Phatasy, you know, on, uh, on Twitter, she's one of the best, I think she's the best follow on Twitter. Uh, but she does do this one thing that sort of irritates me where she's like, you know, I don't have friend. Uh, I don't have a home on the left or the right. And I'm like, no, we all love you on the right. Yeah, you (laughs) certainly do. We disagree with you. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But we actually love you and we're glad you're out there saying the things that we disagree with. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to pick on her because she's (laughs) she's really hilarious. She's great, yeah. Everybody should follow her. Uh, Alicia.
3: All right, now back to serious issues. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think that the focus on Iran right now on the news is taking away from all the Democratic uh, focus on the impeachment trial?
2: (laughs) What (laughs) what impeachment (laughs) trial? Correct. The fact that the impeachment has fallen completely out of the headlines. It had very little to do with Iran, actually. It was already sort of falling out of the headlines. They tried to revivify it with some of this Bolton stuff. But the fact is that we're not going to know what Bolton has to say until Bolton says it. And him playing sort of coy with the media and coy with the Democrats, everybody's sort of speculating. If he has some sort of bombshell, my guess is that we'd already know about it. I don't yeah. think the that we The bottom is line
1: is it. you can't keep impeachment as the number one headline in the country, when you're when you won't send the articles, of <laughs> like Nancy Pelosi has stopped impeachment. Yeah. Until Nancy
2: Pelosi stops stopping, even Democrats are like. Diane Feinstein was like, "Just send this. What are you doing? What are do you doing? Yeah. yeah. Diane Feinstein all, is
4: it's, a, it's an emergency constitutional crisis. Oh, now we're going on vacation. You know. <laughs> and,
0: you know I think also what happened is as they've done so many times in the trump era they just miscalculated during the entirety of impeachment trump's numbers just w- steadily increased yeah. Yeah. they realized it was a miscalculation they're trying to This
1: is why it's road. hilarious when after the president kills salami everybody starts talking about how uh, oh he's just doing this uh, because he's so afraid of impeachment the president is going to dance. <laughs> yes. It's
0: <He's> like <laughs> to dance into the Capitol. First of all, Bill Clinton actually did that in 1998 when he bombed Iraq. Yeah, that's So true. he yeah, actually yeah, did that to get impeachment the out of it. Yeah. I remember, I was eight years old. I asked my mother. I said, Mom, why are we going to war with Iraq? She goes, oh, no, Michael. Uh, the president's being impeached. Every president has to bomb Iraq, and Bill Clinton's being impeached, <laughs> so he wants it out of the newspapers. <laughs> that's, uh, Donald Trump doesn't need impeachment out of the newspapers. Donald Trump doesn't want impeachment. He doesn't no, want he, it out he of he the loves, the loves
2: newspapers. It. I, I will say, just on a slightly off-topic note, I am enjoying watching. Watching the winnowing of the Democratic field, are you guys enjoying this as much as I am? Oh yeah, oh, I miss
0: go. you. Just had to bring up that Julian Castro, he my favorite, favorite.
5: candidate. Now he's out of the race.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know that he was running until. He was <laughs> totally, out. Totally my favorite thing is how the media laments people after they're gone. Yeah. they give him the Soleimani treatment. I mean, like they they, as, 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 <laughs> I'm gonna start calling it that, like the glowing obits. I'm just gonna yeah. call it the Soleimani treatment. But they, but they, it is amazing. Like after Kamala Harris dropped out and she was terrible, it was like, it's so sad that this powerful black woman is no longer (laughs) in the race and Julian Castro they wouldn't pay two cents of attention to it's like well he was a real radical who was really revolutionizing the campaign (laughs) as each one of them drops out it's like wow that person was
4: just a magical magical is part of why the media being all on one side is bad for the Democrats because the Democrats live in this bubble and they do not know what the rest of us are thinking they actually don't they not only don't know what we believe you know, they have no idea what we believe, no, really, because no. they only pick out the things that uh, offend them. But they don't know what ordinary people believe. They don't understand what they look like to ordinary people because they get this uh, reflection, this glowing reflection from the press. And they think, I must be doing great. Look at the right. way Chuck Todd is talking about me. And everybody else is going like, hey, you kind of suck. You know? But I am getting
2: particular enjoyment from Elizabeth
4: Warren imploding. You're getting like, what? Particular
2: enjoyment she from really Elizabeth <laughs> I mean, She yeah. really collapsed. Yeah. She She did. I mean, yeah. four months ago, we were all sitting here going up. Oh, We may have spent good money on a prop.
4: And now we're all sitting around
2: going, is anybody going to get that joke? You know, the other (laughs) other thing about this is
0: watching the field and predicting who the next guys are going to be. The Democrats do nothing before they wake up and call us racist. That's what they do. They wake up in the morning, they call us racist, then they brush their teeth. And we are watching week by week, every racial minority in the race is dropping (laughs) out. The next one out is Booker, right? There's no way Booker's going to last much longer. After that, it's going to be Yang. I mean, you are going to get to a field where hashtag Democrats so white. The
1: one time that the media will acknowledge that uh, Andrew Yang is, in fact, a minority
5: <laughs> on the day after he dropped
0: out of yeah. and, and then they replace him on their cable news networks oh with another goodness. Asian guy. Did you guys see Just this? a random Asian guy. No, I missed this so, one. Yes. So
5: they, they showed, it
1: was on MSNBC, yeah? yeah they showed yeah, yeah. the whole Democrat lineup. Oh, and <laughs> for Andrew no. Yang, it was stock. Yeah, MSNBC. What did you say?
0: I think it was either CNBC uh, or MSNBC.
1: CNBC. Yeah, and it was just a stock photo. They
2: they put Asian man oh, in Oh, no.
1: Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they, someone else, too. Was it Klobuchar? In the same graphic, it was, it was like they. I'm gonna admit yay. that I don't in know. In their defense, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> just put, it put a woman
4: up.
1: The <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, if you are not a Daily Wire subscriber, tonight is the night. Head over to DailyWire.com, click on that subscribe button, use the promo code Backstage during the rest of our broadcast tonight, and you will get 15 percent off. And what do you get for your trouble? Well, you get to ask us questions like this one from Elisha.
3: All right. These guys want to know, do you think that anyone will run as a third-party candidate? And could that help or hurt the Democrats?
4: I don't think it's going to happen. No. Or if it does, it's not going to be—it's not going to move the needle anybody because they can't really think of who could do
1: well, it. Well, the one person who could do it, who could
2: potentially cause problems, is Bloomberg. It yeah. seems that he's already chosen his side. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. there could be people on the right who cause problems. If, Jen, if, if James Mattis were to run, for example... That could that could be a bit of a problem. But he's not going.
0: to. Yeah. I, 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 Trump has ninety five percent approval in the Republican yeah. Party.
4: Yeah. Mattis ain't running. That, no I think way. I think it, I think the only people who could plausibly run would hurt the Democrats. I mean,
2: yeah. did, did, did the, Could you see a world where Joe Biden gets the nomination and Bernie Sanders just being super old and super curmudgeonly and super pissed just runs third party? Uh, off, off beat,
4: but I could see it. It's not, it's not I can the see impossible. I because
2: he's a nut and he's getting up there and he's thinking, yeah. how many more times can I do this? I mean,
4: and he would, already, forever
2: more times. Yeah, yeah, 10 right? or 12, forever more <laughs> times. Training and he's Jedi a, for 800 years has he been.
4: And he's a genuine, <laughs> he's a genuine communist. I mean, he actually does believe what he believes. So he might actually think, well, these these you know, mere liberals aren't really. It is uh, interesting. Well,
1: we didn't talk about it, but uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did say that only in America could she and Joe Biden belong to the same political party. I mean, you can imagine that, <laughs> them playing well, out. China. <laughs> 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 but you can imagine them playing out that line of, of thinking and and giving Bernie a third party run. Especially
2: if, if it starts to get later in the race and Biden's really trailing Trump. Here, here's what I could see. If the Democrats were to pull on on
1: Bernie what they pulled on him in 2016, mm-hmm. yeah. I can imagine him going, screw yeah. it, I'm just going to yeah. burn this. It's thing
4: outlandish,
0: here. but it's not impossible. It's going to be tougher because they have reformed the superdelegates, at yeah. least that's reportedly what we're hearing. Okay. So they're, they're, it seems less likely than in, say, 2016, but I don't know, Bernie might be his last shot.
1: Listen, mm-hmm. one way Bernie could just actually win the thing. And yeah. what could yeah, help good. him win it is actually that after stealing it from him in 2016, the DNC had to make internal yeah. changes. Which will make it harder mm-hmm. to steal it from him this time. Seriously, yeah. they didn't anticipate that he could mount another successful in, run. Interesting.
4: You know what's what's kind of interesting is that with the Clintons still seem to have a certain amount of power within the party and had a lot of power within the party until the defeat of Hillary Clinton. Yes. Obama doesn't really seem to have a lot of sway in the party. They p- people like him. Uh, you know, they they think of him fondly in the Democrat Party, but he doesn't. You know, when he opens his mouth and says something that's not leftist enough, they yeah. attack it. But
1: him. but the I mean, reason is because Barack Obama doesn't current has not projected any future interest. You have to understand that all the power mm. that the Clintons had for that 12-year period Was that they might come is back. because they might come back in the form of... And, the you, and
4: nobody's afraid of Michelle. Well, if Michelle started openly...
1: It. Yeah, this is right. If she started openly seeking office, Singapore. if Michelle ran for Senate, suddenly Barack Obama would have a ton of power in mm. the DNC mm. again. Right. But right now... He's out to pasture. He seems happy with his Netflix deal. Yeah, seems he's making happy millions
4: of dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, at some point you have enough money, but... Uh, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he has not found that point.
4: Yeah, yet. Yeah. Alicia, we're going to take three
1: rapid-fire questions.
3: All righty. So, most of us are millennials, <clears throat> minus the God King and, <laughs> and Drew. But what do you guys think is going to happen to the generation
5: most after us millennials? Most of
3: have jobs. <laughs> 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 but what do you guys think is going to happen to the generation after us millennials, especially with all this talk of gender, you know, conformity and LGBTQ things that are being taught in schools, et cetera.
1: I think that the uh, generation that proceeds the millennials are actually a a riper target for us.
0: The the hope lies in the Zoomers. There is no question.
1: They grew up in this uh, sort of leftist monopoly on thought, and they seem to be pushing back. Now, listen, are they affected by it? Yeah. Do they believe some things that, yeah, we lost. We lost, and because of us losing for a generation— they believe some stuff that we wish they didn't. Uh, are they going to give up those beliefs? No. But does that mean that they're going to be uh, little marching line soldiers the way that the millennials have been for the left?
2: I don't think they will be. You know, no. I think that's right. And I think that's because a lot of them have older siblings. Hmm. And the older siblings are millennials. And yeah. those millennials are obnoxious. Yes. I mean, they just, they're the, the, the older sibling who is just taking away the ice cream and okay. telling them that they need to eat their vegetables. And the vegetables are not only horrible tasting, but they're also bad for you. Yeah. And all these younger people are, are looking at the people who are just one generation above. And they're saying, these people are boring as all hell. This is, this is the
4: thing. Leftism is so boring. And the other thing is, is people forget, you know, recently I'm sure you saw J.K. Rowling spoke some truth yeah, yeah. to transgender people and, and then stood up for her truth, didn't let them uh, She didn't speak can, up for her truth. She spoke it's <laughs> the truth, yeah. And, and, Vox, and Vox said, has she tarnished the Harry Potter legacy? And I thought, you know, Harry Potter is going to last as long as it entertains people. This transgender thing, it's a fad. It'll be gone. Right. You know, I mean, at some point the truth will out. <laughs> the truth comes back. And it's not It's not that some people won't, won't have these problems, This. The problem of when you say it'll go they're... away, you
2: just mean the whole societal movement to suggest that biological women are men and biological women right.
4: are women. Yeah. This is a Gender path. These, these, is are things that, right, these are the things that the only thing that's remembered about them is the people who made fun of them. You know, th- you know. Th- th- there is actually a great deal of hope in
0: the Zoomers in increasing despair. There was a piece in the New York Times, came out just yesterday, about how young Americans are yeah, depressed, anxious, and killing themselves. I yep. mean, young, young person suicide is way up, up 70% or something. And the, what I mean by that actually being a sign of sort of hope, ultimately, even though it's right now it's very damaging, very painful, is because this is a wide cultural phenomenon. It's not merely a, a pharmaceutical or a psychological one. It is a cultural phenomenon that's happening. And you have a whole generation that has grown up with the totalizing idea of secular liberalism. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're, they're not just seeing, ah, the economy's not doing well, ah, the tax rates. They're actually feeling a, a deep personal pain that is wrought by this culture. And I think they're they're waking up pretty clearly and saying, Something here is broken. Something's
4: rotten. We need a new way.
1: That was number one. Alicia, give us number two.
3: All right. Here's a fun question. Do you guys listen to music while you read or do you read Mm. in silence?
4: Uh, I, I, I read in silence. I When I listen to music, I actually like to listen to music. I rarely have it on in the background. Yeah. And I love to read, so I am I read quietly by myself.
2: Uh, I read in silence, but I write with music.
4: Really? Yeah. I, mean, I, I do can't too. do that because the rhythms get in my head.
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> it depends what kind of music you're listening yeah. to. If you're listening to something that is very regular, you can't listen to Beethoven mm. while you're writing. You can listen to Wu-Tang. early Mozart and Bach. Wow. So Bach, you can do it because it's very rhythmic. So it's just very, very regular. So it's yeah. perpetual motion.
1: I almost, uh, I, almost I exclusively write to Bach.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I just really? I look,
1: throw on the Goldberg Variations and write a screenplay. I, c-
4: I cannot write and have music on because the the rhythms of the music get into my head. If it's
0: if over. it's Flavor Flav or Public Enemy, then yeah. I can write to it. <laughs>
4: oh,
1: you a classical. You idea. absolutely can't have anything with lyrics. Right.
0: No, um, that'll nuts.
1: Yeah. That was two. What is
3: three? So no Lizzo or Nicki Minaj for (laughs) y'all when you're writing those screenplays? Or any
1: other time. Okay,
3: all right. Final question. Who are those people? What do you think that the odds (laughs) are of Republicans taking back the House in 2020?
1: What are the odds of the Republicans taking back the House in 2020? How many many, uh, seats need to turn, Ben?
2: Uh, Well, let's see. The the Democrat, they'd have to pick up 20 seats, something like that, uh, 15 to 20 seats? It's not that many. 15 to 20 seats? Uh, it depends. I mean, if, if Trump were to win a sweeping victory, then, of course, they would take back the yeah, House. Yeah. I think that the the likelihood right now, if you had to put money on the 2020 election— I think there's a very high likelihood that what you actually see is a pretty close repeat of the 2016 election, namely that Trump loses the popular vote but wins the electoral college. The reason I say that is because every Democrat in California and New York will vote, and there are lots of them. But it doesn't matter how many of them vote in California and New York because they won all those votes last time, so that doesn't matter. I think that Trump has a good shot of winning all the swing states. The problem with that, of course, is that there are congressional seats in all of those states, in New York and in California. And it seems unlikely to me that a lot of those congressional uh, seats are going to swing back to Trump. I think that the, the highest likelihood is, th- is that after 2020, and again, who the, who the hell knows? I mean, I lost a bunch of money on 2016, but I, my, my, my best guess would be that Trump win at this point, Trump wins re-election. The Republicans do not regain the House. The Republicans hold the Senate.
4: See, I, I think if we had the vote today, I think everything is so unpredictable because we know Trump blows himself up. We'd, all these things can happen. But if we had the vote today, I think we'd win back the house. I think right now Donald Trump. Well, if in, you mean today,
1: a, the greatest news cycle <laughs> had in yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I agree,
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I do think that Trump is right now; it's his to lose.
4: You know, it's it's shocking. Uh, over the holiday, I kept reading the newspaper and I kept saying, it was all good news," because in the yeah. in the because uh, all the holiday, journalists
1: were gone for Christmas. Well, all the journalists <laughs> go away, and
4: also the news quiets down, so the news, the real news, kind of rises to the the long term stories rise to the surface. The way the economy is, the yep. economy is. Unbelievable, this is unbelievable. No, I I was doing the math in my
0: head today. Just the basic categories of what you want looking into a yeah. presidential election. You've got a booming economy. you got the head of ISIS dead. You've got the head of Iran's military dead. You've got 187 good judges, including two Supreme Court judges. you got record low unemployment. You've got wages rising for the first time in about 10 years. Your
1: 401k is up
5: $89. My 401k is up $89. Bucks. That's more money than I get my
1: salary. I, mean, this is like,
0: the, things are, I, I think we actually have to conclude right now election being held today. This guy is an excellent president. Yeah.
4: You know what's interesting, too, by the way? I wish nothing ill on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but nobody lives forever. If, if she actually dies before the election, it's going to be just one of the most fun. Uh, <laughs> Again, I wish nothing <laughs> ill on her, but it is going to be one fun you election. You mean the
2: political situation will be fun for those of you in media batters? No
4: one. <laughs> <there> if <will be laughs> They're not here.
2: Time. That's what, yes. But, but, no, I really do wish nothing ill so on her. I mean that seriously. No, of course, of course. No. We're, we're, listen, we're the, the big problem for me is that as we approach 2020, no matter how 2020 goes, one half of the country is going to believe that the election was stolen. Yes. And that is actually dangerous because the Democrats have been You're claiming right, theory, for yeah. years at a time that Donald Trump was not legitimately elected in 2016. Now they're claiming that because of the Ukraine situation and he should be impeached and all of this stuff, that no matter what happens in 2020, he will have he will have prevented a legitimate vote from taking place. Stacey Abrams is the legit governor of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, if the Democrats win a victory, I don't see Trump going away in quietly into that good night, suggesting mm-hmm. that the election was purely and fairly held and everything went hunky-dory. So I think that the, the chances of a conflagration post-election, and this is particularly true if something should happen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If something happens to yeah. Ginsburg and the future of the Supreme Court rests on the next election, the, I mean, right now, it's the beginning of the year. Everybody's in kind of a good mood coming off of Christmas. The impeachment thing seems to be dying down. We just had a very good moment for the United States, no matter which party you are of. Yep. This mm-hmm. is a good moment for the United States with regard to Iran. You know, n- Mark, Mark this moment.
5: Yeah. This moment where the everybody's happiest...
2: in a fairly decent mood. We
4: may be in the Remember place that even on Earth. when
2: we're in a good mood, like the country is in a fairly good mood yeah. after the holidays, we're all feeling good, beginning of New Year resolutions and everything. People are openly clapping for Richard Spencer because he hates <laughs> Donald <laughs> Trump. So, so wait for six months before we start getting to uh you have to,
4: you have to admit, this speaks well of Trump that Richard Spencer hates him. I mean that really does, because he's Yeah, yeah, I've been you know.
2: waiting for four years for
5: that <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally get yeah. here. You know, it's this, hard to
4: get a smile out of this. This party. is the <laughs> point
0: you know, when, when it was like the the Ilhan Omar logic. She didn't realize that in going after the Iran sanctions, she was openly declaring war on Israel. Joy Behar didn't realize that in celebrating <laughs> Richard Spencer divorcing himself from Trump, she was allying herself uh, with
2: Richard And then tomorrow she'll be like, oh, Charlottesville, Charlottesville. Like, Yesterday you were literally back. <laughs> it, I, I do want to on sound one balance. cautionary note. And that is, you're right.
1: Economy, all, all the, you just yeah. outlined terrific foreign policy victories. Uh, victory over uh, ISIS, victory over Soleimani. When Barack Obama won re-election, all of those statistics that you just cited were inverted. Hmm. If you look back at yeah. any historic election hmm. in the twentieth century, Barack Obama should not have won. The misery
0: index was the misery very index high. was
1: very high. The economic recovery very stalled at that point. Obamacare huge, so unpopular that Scott Brown won Teddy Kennedy's seat in Massachusetts. Right, uh, and yet Obama easily won. Re-election, And it is because of this thing that, Drew, this is a conversation you and I have been having sometimes with reasonable voices. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
5: with louder, reasonable louder,
1: voices. Louder, reasonable voices. <laughs> when a country is as prosperous and as peaceful as this country, when people have it this good, when the number one uh, health epidemic among the desperately poor is obesity, when you, have, when you have the kind of society we have now, which has only rarely existed in all of human history, Reality isn't always the determining factor. People's perception. Why is it that we have things as good as we've ever had them in this country, and yet most people feel like we're on the brink of, the civ- of a civil war? Why is it that we've thing- we've never had anything better? People are killing themselves in record numbers. It's because some things are not as easy to quantify as the economic index or the job index. Right. Yeah.
0: Ma- Material goods are not everything. Yeah. There,
1: there is a spiritual component and there is a perception component. And when you have the very serious people who control almost every facet of popular uh, communication and information distribution, constantly telling you that this is the worst it's ever been, that we're the worst place at the worst point of time. It has a deleterious effect. I mean, today's a to-
2: perfect example of this. Our, like, I will be fascinated to see what the polls say about how this Iran thing went, mm-hmm. because the yeah. obvious truth of the situation is that this is a huge mm-hmm. win for the United States, it's a huge win for Trump. Mm-hmm. That is obviously 100% true. But I would not be surprised if at least half the American people believe that we've just narrowly averted World War II. possible.
4: I have to say, in Ford versus Ferrari, there's a scene where the two guys get in a fight with each other, and they're fighting, and the guy picks up a soup can to hit him in the head and then realizes it's his friend, so instead he hits him in the head with a bag of potato chips. <laughs> Reminded me of you and me arguing.
1: <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight to our Daily Wire backstage. Especially thank everyone who went over to dailywire.com and clicked subscribe uh, and got that 15% off promo. Thanks to Alicia and everyone who got in questions for us tonight. Thanks to you guys, most of you. And if you are a subscriber, please log in now and join us. We'll be over in that chat room uh, for our all access subscribers uh, within the next five minutes taking, I'll bet we take a hundred questions. So we'd love to hear your question. Please get in here, uh, visit with us uh, in the, in the uh, chat room and join us for, we're going to be back together a little sooner than usual because on February 3rd, we have the Iowa caucuses. The very next day on February 4th, we will be broadcasting live for the president's state of the union. We can only pray. We can only Me, pray that the impeachment saga has not fi- yet been
2: my resolved. two favorite things at once: the State of the Union and a Daily Wire backstage. <laughs> I cannot wait. But you've
1: got to admit, if the pre- if they have not resolved impeachment and the president has to have. walk into a building oh, yeah. and face down people who are actively impeaching him, it will be the greatest.
4: show It will be on fun. Her. It will be fun. Yeah. yeah, this is a fun presidency. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's having a good time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> hey, you guys want to go out on a fake laugh? Yes. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Robert Sterling Directed by Mike Joyner Executive producer, me Senior producer, Jonathan Hay Supervising producer is Mathis Glover Technical producer is Austin Stevens Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski Edited by Adam Saivitz Audio is mixed by Mike Hormina, Hair and makeup by Jess Olvera Segment producer, Rebecca Dobkowitz The Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.